Good afternoon and welcome to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors for today, January 23rd. Madam Clerk, would you please call the roll? Thank you, Mr. President. Supervisor Chan. Chan present. Supervisor Dorsey. Dorsey present. Supervisor Engardio. Engardio present. Supervisor Mandelman. Mandelman not present. Supervisor Melgar. Melgar present. Supervisor Peskin. Present. Peskin present. Supervisor Preston. Preston present. Supervisor Ronan. Ronan present. Supervisor Safai. Present. Safai present. Supervisor Stephanie. Stephanie present. Supervisor Walton. Walton present. And Supervisor Mandelman. Mandelman present. Mr. President, all members are present. Thank you, Madam Clerk. The San Francisco Board of Supervisors acknowledges we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatushaloni, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land, and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatushaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. <clears throat> As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatushaloni community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Colleagues, will you please join me in the Pledge of Allegiance? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Madam Clerk, do we have any communications? Yes, Mr. President. The San Francisco Board of Supervisors welcomes all interested persons to attend this meeting here in the Board's Legislative Chamber in City Hall, second floor, room 250. Or you may watch the proceeding on SFGOV-TV's channel 26 or view the live stream at www.sfgovtv.org. To submit your public comment in writing, send to the email address BOS at sfgov.org or via U.S. Postal Service to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, the number one, Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place in City Hall, room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. To make a reasonable accommodation request under ADA or to request language assistance, please contact the <coughs> clerk's office at least 48 business hours in advance by calling 415 554 5184. <coughs> Today, through a previous arrangement, we are prepared to provide an accommodation at the appropriate time, Mr. President. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Why don't we do that right now? All right. To my staff, let's hear from the individual who'd like to provide his public comment through a previous ADA arrangement. Welcome. Hi, thank you. This is at Disability Activism SF, that is at sign Disability Activism SF. Thank you for this American with Disabilities Act accommodation so I could speak with you all here today. I'm speaking here today to commend the brave efforts of this board who took it upon themselves to vote in favor of an immediate and sustaining ceasefire in the ongoing war against Palestine. As we've heard in the news, the carnage of hospital bombings, starvation, and child deaths have been a mass disabling event of unfathomable scale 
in the occupied areas of Gaza and the West Bank. It continues to cast a ghastly shadow on our civilization and the federal government's aiding and abetting role in a brutal genocide. The failure of Netanyahu's government to secure the safe return of hostages has brought about massive protests in Tel Aviv, and as just last week, two hostages have been killed in Israeli bombings. This is in addition to the more than two dozen deaths of Israeli soldiers from friendly fire, and it is also the most deadly conflict on record for journalists since 1992. This board has had the courage to rise to the moment and enact the will of its constituents in this incredibly important time. I know it is not without personal and possibly political sacrifice that you have taken it upon yourselves, those of you that have voted for it, to do the honorable and more only morally just thing at this time. I thank Supervisor Dean Preston for bringing the motion of a ceasefire in the first place and for the board members who have been brave enough to join him on the correct side of history. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Mr. President. Madam Clerk, let's go to the approval of our December 5th and 12th, 2023 minutes. Colleagues, is there a motion to approve said minutes? Motion made by Supervisor Mandelman, seconded by Supervisor Walton. On that motion made and seconded, a roll call, please. On the minutes, Supervisor Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Supervisor Preston. Preston, aye. Supervisor Ronan. Ronan, aye. Supervisor Safayi. Safayi, aye. Supervisor Stephanie. Stephanie, aye. Supervisor Walton. Walton, aye. Supervisor Chan. Chan, aye. Supervisor Dorsey. Dorsey, aye. Supervisor Engardio. Engardio, aye. Supervisor Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. And Supervisor Melgar. Melgar, aye. There are 11 ayes. The motion is approved. Madam Clerk, could you please call the consent agenda? Items one through three are on consent and considered to be routine. If a member objects, an item may be removed and considered separately. Same house, same call. Those ordinances are finally passed. Next item, please. Item four, this is an ordinance to approve contracts between the city and the American Registry for Internet Numbers, LTD, for the registration of the city's internal network and the public-facing network internet protocol addresses and granting waivers of specified contract-related requirements in the administrative code for this transaction. Seeing no names on the roster, same house, same call. This ordinance is passed on first reading. Next item. <clears throat> item five, this is an ordinance to appropriate approximately 1.35 million from the issuance of Treasury, a Treasure Island Infrastructure and Revitalization Financing District Series 2023B tax increment revenue bonds to the affordable housing projects in the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development and placing these amounts on controller's reserve in fiscal year 2023-24. Same house same call the ordinance is passed on first reading madam clerk would you please read items six and seven together item six and seven comprise two accept and expand grants for the office of the district attorney item six is retroactive authorization to accept and expend an approximate two million dollar grant from the state of california board of state and community corrections to fund the organized retail theft vertical prosecution grant program and to amend the annual salary ordinance for fiscal years 2023 through 2025 <clears throat> to provide for the following grant funded positions in in class 8177 an attorney 
for civil and criminal, and one grant-funded position in Class 8550, a district attorney's investigator, for the grant agreement period of October 1, 2023 through June 1, 2027. And Item 7 is retroactive authorization to accept and expend a $1.2 million grant from the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation to support and sustain the city's efforts to reduce jail incarceration and racial and ethnic disparities in jail usage as a site in the Safety and Justice Challenge, January 1st, 2023 through June, uh, December 31st, 2025. Same house, same call. The ordinance is passed on first reading and the resolution adopted. Next item, please. Item eight, ordinance to authorize the police department to expend grant funds received from the Board of State and Community Corrections organized retail theft grant program to procure equipment and services without competitive bidding under Administrative Code Chapter 21. Same house, same call. The ordinance is passed on first reading. Next item. Item 9, resolution to retroactively authorize the Department of Building Inspection to accept and expend a $100,000 grant from the California Energy Commission for participation in the state automated permit processing program and for costs associated directly with the adoption and maintenance <clears throat> of Solar APP Plus, an online automated solar permitting platform uh, through May 31st, 2027. Same house, same call. The resolution is adopted. Next item. Item 10, this is a resolution to retroactively authorize the Department of Children, Youth, and Their Families to accept and expend a $1 million grant from the United States Department of Justice, Office of Justice Programs, Bureau of Justice Assistance, uh, for participation in a program entitled Stop School Violence Program uh, through October 1st, 2026. The funds will enhance the current San Francisco school crisis support coordination project to improve a San Francisco Unified School District school climate. Same house, same call. The resolution is adopted. Next item. Item 11, resolution to retroactively authorize the Recreation and Park Department to accept and expend a $5.1 million grant from the California State's Coastal Conservancy for a term effective upon execution of the grant agreement through December 31st, 2024 for the 900 INIS redevelopment project to approve the associated grant agreement and to approve the uh, recording of a deed restriction that prohibits residential use and commercial uses defined as sensitive on the property in perpetuity. Same house, same call. The resolution is adopted. Next item. <clears throat> item 12, resolution to retroactively authorize the San Francisco Public Library to accept and expend a not to exceed $375,000 grant from the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation to support the jail and re-entry services program for the performance period of October 1st, 2023 through December 31st, 2024. Same house, same call. The resolution is adopted. Next item. Item 13, resolution to adopt a fixed two-year budgetary cycle defining terms and setting deadlines for the airport, the port, and the Public Utilities Commission for fiscal years 2024 through 25 and 2025 through 26. 
Same house, same call. The resolution is adopted. Next item, please. Item 14, resolution to retroactively approve amendment number 48 to the Treasure Island Land and Structures Master Lease between the Treasure Island Development Authority and the United States Navy to extend the term for one year to commence December 1st, 2023 for a total term November 19th, 1998 through November 30th, 2024. Same house, same call. The resolution is adopted. Next item. Item 15, resolution to retroactively authorize the Department of Juvenile Probation to accept and expend an approximate $360,000 grant allocation from the California Department of Social Services October 1st, 2021 through September 30th, 2026 for intensive foster care and family preservation services. Same house, same call. The resolution is adopted. Next item. Item 16, resolution to retroactively authorize the Department on the Status of Women to accept and expend an approximate $156,000 grant increase for a total of, of $306,000 uh, from the Blue Shield California Foundation for a one-year grant period April 1st, 2023 through March 31st, 2024 for the Leveraging Collaboratives to End Domestic Violence Program. Same house, same call. The resolution is adopted. Next item, please. Item 17. This item was referred without recommendation from the Budget and Finance Committee. Item 17 is a resolution to approve the Director of Public Works Declaration of Emergency under Administrative Code Section 660 to replace the chiller, the boiler, and cooling tower, and to perform associated repair and upgrades at the Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital, located at 1001 Potrero Avenue, estimated to cost in excess of 250000 to affirm the secret determination and to make the appropriate findings. Supervisor Chan. Thank you, President Peskin. Colleagues, I do actually urge you to, while it came out of the committee without recommendation, I do urge for your support for this item. It is truly an emergency uh, at, the Zuck, uh, at the San Francisco General Hospital that uh, required a repair. Um, the repair, um, fortunately, no one was hurt um, when this, uh, when this uh, boiler and the cooling tower um, was broken, um, but um, it really was because um, this happened uh, due to deferred maintenance, ongoing deferred maintenance that built to this point um, now that we really need to repair um, uh, the system. But uh, I just want to point to you specifically, typically an de emergency declaration that come to us will actually indicate a dollar amount in the legislation itself. This is the first that we're seeing that it's only say exceeds $250,000 when the repair itself, it's really at cost estimates of 47, roughly 47, almost $47 million. Um, if we approve this today, uh, if and if the repair end up uh, cost beyond $47 million, it will not return back to the committee nor, this, um, nor the board for further review. Um, we understand that this is because um, we do need to reevaluate Administrative Code Section 6.6, .6, which is uh, what the emergency declaration is based on. We're looking to see how we can uh, identify 
the not to exceed amount at the point of emergency declaration, but if that it requires uh, additional monies uh, to the repair, how do we make sure that there's accountability uh, for it to return to the board for further evaluation? Um, we know that uh, when an emergency declaration uh, comes to us, it means that it's uh, something emergency had ha happened, uh, require repair, immediate repair, uh, without um, going to bid uh, or competitive bidding, uh, that they can just go and start uh, to do the repair work, which is necessary. Uh, we we, we, don't, we wanna make sure that we keep uh, people safe in the city. We see that we see their problems like water pipe and, and sinkholes, um, different kind of uh, issues arise that re require us to react immediately. Uh, with that said, I am working on am amending Administrative Code Section 6.6 um, with our Deputy City Attorney and Pearson, and that legislation may come before you uh, later uh, whenever we get this ready, hopefully soon, uh, sooner rather than later, and by then, then I hope to have your support uh, for the amendments of this administrative code. But as of today, it came out uh, with our recommendation just so that we can flag for you uh, the problem that we're seeing right now. Thank you. Okay, in that case, we will take this same house, same call. The resolution is adopted. Next item, please. Item 18, this is an ordinance to amend the existing building code to require buildings with 15 or more stories to conduct and submit supplemental inspection reports that will focus on windows and exterior glass surfaces to identify any defective or damaged materials that may cause glass failure and to affirm the secret determination and to make the appropriate findings. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Colleagues, um, thank you to the Land Use Committee for forwarding this to the full board and thank you to the Department of Building Inspection for rising to the occasion after our March windstorm last year where buildings uh, in and around our downtown had over a half a dozen cases of high-rise window failures with glass crashing down uh, to the sidewalks below. Fortunately, nobody was seriously injured, uh, but this will require more frequent inspections of window systems every five years. Uh, and again, thank you to the Department of Building Inspection and the Building Commission for moving this uh, very quickly. And with that, seeing no names on the roster, same house, same call. This ordinance is passed on first reading. Next item, please. Item 19, this is a resolution to authorize an agreement for the conditional exchange of vacant land <clears throat> located on Edge Hill Mountain for, for city property on Paper Street near areas, uh, areas near Moraga Avenue and Noriega Avenue and to approve the following two findings. Number one, that the exchange agreement is a conditional land acquisition agreement under CEQA, and two, finding the city's property to be exempt surplus land under the California Government Code Section 54221 sub F1C. All right, congratulations. Same house, same call. The resolution is adopted. Uh, Madam Clerk, could you please read the next item? Item 20 was referred without recommendation from the Land Use and Transportation Committee. It's an ordinance to amend the planning code to designate the Westwood Park entrance, gateways, and pillars located at the intersections of Miramar Avenue and Monterey Boulevard, Miramar Avenue and Ocean Avenue, and Judson Avenue and Frida Kahlo Way as a landmark to affirm the CEQA determination and to make the appropriate findings. Supervisor Melgar. 
Thank you so much, uh, President Peskin. <clears throat> this is an item that is in District 7. It is a landmarking that was prompted by the community. Um, they are uh, the archways, if you've ever been at the top of the hill on Monterey in Miramar, um, there was once uh, you know, uh, a similar structure on Miramar and Ocean that disappeared uh, in the 1980s. And we are hoping that by landmarking it, it will protect um, these structures on the public right of way, uh, marking the entrance to Westwood Park. Um, although it passed um, without recommendation out of the Land Use Committee, it was unanimously um, approved uh, for landmarking at the Historic Preservation Commission. Um, and I am hoping to get the support of the supervisors today. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Land Use Chair Melgar and sponsor of this legislation. Now, I will also just note for the record uh, before I ask for a roll call vote um, that there was a submission in the file after uh, the hearing in the Land Use Committee uh, by a former planning commissioner, Anita Theo Harris, um, that set forth uh, a fascinating piece of relatively modern history um, that implicates not only a former president of the Planning Commission, but a former president of the Board of Supervisors, none other than uh, Norman Yee, who moved into Westwood Park, uh, found the racist restrictive covenants in their CCNRs, which had already been um, ruled to be illegal, but they still were in the CCNRs, uh, and went to the Westwood Park Homeowners Association and this is all set forth in Anita Theo Harris's communication to the board, and Westwood Park actually got the votes and changed their CCNRs to remove the offensive racist language, and um, apparently, as according to Ms. Theo Harris, is the only uh, association to have done so. I mean, these exist in other um, covenants, conditions, and restrictions all over the place, uh, but I think this is the only organization that uh, actually went to um, the legal process and removed them. So hats off to Ms. Theo Harris, who actually went down to the recorder's office and refiled, and to our former president, uh, Norman Yee, who uh, read that hateful language and insisted that it be removed. With that, colleagues, Supervisor Safai. Thank you. I, I just want to add my name, if you can add my name as a co-sponsor. I appreciate Supervisor <coughs> Melgar's work on this. Um, these are some really interesting and defining characteristics of transitions to neighborhoods. I think they add a lot of character and life and beauty. Um, we have a few in our, in our district as well. Um, maybe we can add on to them. But the idea that racial covenants would also be attacked and addressed in this issue in a very thoughtful way is, is, is just shows you the power of, of organizing from the community level. So I appreciate that. Thank you, Supervisor. Roll call. On item 20, Supervisor Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Supervisor Preston? Preston, no. Supervisor Ronan? Ronan, aye. Supervisor Safayi? Safayi, aye. Supervisor Stephanie? Stephanie, aye. Supervisor Walton? Walton, aye. Supervisor Chan? Chan, aye. Supervisor Dorsey? Dorsey, aye. Supervisor Engardio? Engardio, aye. Supervisor Mandelman? Mandelman, aye. And Supervisor Melgar? Aye. Melgar, aye. There are 10 ayes and one no, with Supervisor Preston voting no. The ordinance is passed on first reading. Next item, please. Item 21, this is an ordinance to amend the health code 
to uh, regulate medical specimen test collection sites and to provide that a violation of the specimen collection standards is a misdemeanor offense and a public health nuisance subject to an administrative penalty that may be imposed by the Department of Public Health. Seeing no names on the roster, a roll call, please. On item 21, Supervisor Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Supervisor Preston. Preston, aye. Supervisor Ronan. Ronan, aye. Supervisor Safai. Safai, aye. Supervisor Stephanie. Stephanie, aye. Supervisor Walton. Walton, aye. Supervisor Chan. Chan, aye. Supervisor Dorsey. Dorsey, aye. Supervisor Angardio. Angardio, aye. Supervisor Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. And Supervisor Melgar. Melgar, aye. There are 11 ayes. This ordinance is passed on first reading. Next item, please. Item 22, this is a resolution to express support for a permanent cultural monument for the Filipino Cultural Heritage District, urging the Arts Commission to commission new works that center voices and stories that are not currently reflected by the current collection, such as the voices that reflect Filipino culture and identity, and finding that the Soma Pilipinas Gateway Project could provide a model for the city to advance social and racial equity by producing cultural monuments that lift up the rich history and collective experience contributions and struggles and triumphs of people of color and immigrant communities who are an important part of San Francisco's diversity and soul as a city. Supervisor Dorsey. Thank you, President Peskin. And uh, thank you colleagues for your unanimous uh, co-sponsorship of this important item. Um, because of an administrative error in transiting amendments in our work on this uh, and the need to make sure we get all the details right, I'd like to make a motion to continue this item for one week. A uh, motion to continue by Supervisor Dorsey, seconded by Supervisor Stephanie. Was that, did you, yes. All right, without objection, the item is continued one week. Madam Clerk, could you read items 23 and 24 together? Yes, and just for the record, Mr. President, we'll put January 30th for item January 22. 30th. Okay. Yes, item 23 and 24 comprise two resolutions that pertain to liquor licenses. Item 23 is the resolution to determine that the person-to-person, premise-to-premise transfer of a Type 48 on-sale general public premises liquor license to Triple Chan Enterprises to do business as the RM212 located at 690 Sacramento Street will serve the public convenience. Item 24, resolution determines that the issuance of a Type 90 on-sale general music venue liquor license to SR Visions LLC uh, to do business as the record bar located at 177 Eddy Street will serve the public convenience, and to request that the California Department of Alcoholic Beverage Control impose conditions for both licenses. Seeing no names on the roster, same house, same call. Those resolutions are adopted. Next item, please. Item 25, this is an ordinance to amend the Campaign and Governmental Conduct Code to update and clarify the Conflict of Interest Codes Form 700 filing requirements for officers and employees in the General Services Agency under the City Administrator. Same house, same call. This ordinance is passed on first reading. Madam Clerk, let's go to committee reports, item 30. Item 30, forgive my scrolling. Item 30 was considered by the Government Audit and Oversight Committee at a regular meeting on Thursday, January 18th. 
Item 30 is an ordinance to authorize the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission and the Office of the City Attorney to approve settlements of claims arising out of the September 10th, 2023 break of the SFPUC's water transmission pipeline at the intersection of Fillmore and Green Street for amounts exceeding 25,000 per claim, notwithstanding administrative code section 10.22, uh, but not to exceed 1 million per claim and to delegate authority under the Charter Section 6.1025 for the settlement of related litigation, if any, up to an aggregate total settlement amount not to exceed $7 million, subject to periodic reporting to the Board of Supervisors, Government Audit and Oversight Committee. Same House, same call. The ordinance is passed on first reading. Next item. Items 31 and 32 were considered by the Rules Committee at a regular meeting on Monday, January 22nd. Item 31 was recommended as amended, bearing a new title, striking the word rejecting. It now reads, Motion to Approve the Mayor's Nomination for Appointment of Janet Tarlov to the Municipal Transportation Agency Board of Directors, term ending March 1st, 2024. Supervisor Preston. Thank you, President Peskin, uh, and I wanted to uh, speak to item 31, um, and uh, first wanted to thank Chair Ronan um, and colleagues on the Rules Committee uh, who heard uh, Janet Tarlov's appointment yesterday, and I had the opportunity uh, to meet with Ms. Uh, Tarlov uh, yesterday and also to listen to her comments at the Rules Committee. Um, and let me just start by saying I'm confident that if she is appointed that she's someone who will have an open mind, uh, bring a merchant perspective, uh, and work collaboratively on the MTA board, and I appreciate her willingness to serve. Um, despite that, I will not be voting for her today, and I wanted to briefly explain why for the record. Ms. Tarloff claims no experience, expertise, or demonstrated interest in transit, and I have said this before, and I'll say it again, I urge our mayor who has the appointment power over every member of the MTA Commission to nominate people in this critical time for the future of public transportation who have a demonstrated insight and commitment to public transportation and our city's transit first and vision zero policies. Now as a former small business owner myself, I understand and I appreciate the value of having a small business advocate on the MTA board and bringing that perspective. There is, however, no mention in the charter that this uh, or any seat on the NTA board be designated for a small business person. What is specified is that at least four of the directors must be regular riders of Muni and that they must possess significant knowledge of or professional experience in one or more of the fields of government, finance, or labor relations, and that at least two of the directors must possess significant knowledge of or professional experience in the field of public transportation. It is my understanding from our conversation and, and, and through uh, Ms. Tarlov's uh, comments at the Rules Committee that she does not possess these expertise. So our transit agency is at a uniquely challenging moment and we need MTA board members with a bold vision, with experience and a demonstrated commitment to a robust public transportation system, to transit equity and to our most marginalized communities. I do not question whether Ms. Tarloff could eventually provide that kind of leadership and I hope if appointed that she will. 
um, but I submit that now is not the time for on-the-job training at the MTA Commission, but it is instead the time to appoint experts who can steer the ship from day one, and I once again urge the mayor to consider that when making appointments that are brought before this body for the MTA. So consistent with my prior votes um, on MTA commissioners, I will be unable to support Janet Tarlov today. I've made public transit a priority as well as <coughs> achieving our Vision Zero goals, including a citywide safe streets network uh, and the need for leadership from the MTA board on these issues has only grown since my prior votes on this. So I look forward to working with Ms. Tarlov uh, if and when she is approved uh, and when she joins the MTA board, but we'll be voting no today on item 31. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Preston. Supervisor Roney. Thank you. Um, I just want to mention that I had similar concerns um, with Ms. Tarlov. Um, and you know, was surprised by the lack of knowledge um, around many of the questions uh, that I had. Although between the time that I spoke to her individually and by the time she came to committee, she, she had learned quite a bit. And ultimately, this position is just for a few months. Um, and then uh, she would have to be reappointed to have a full term on the board. This is just uh, the, the small time left in Manny. You could tell term uh, when he stepped down. So I thought uh, she deserved a chance um, and we'll be watching closely and, and see how she uh, does on the commission and how she contributes um, and have another chance and look at it in March. So just want to, to contribute that information. <clears throat> so you, I will be supporting her today. Thank you, Supervisor Ronan. Supervisor Safai. Thank, thank you, uh, President Peskin. Um, I understand some of the things that Supervisor Preston said. Um, I will say that one of the things it does underscore is finance. I mean, you mentioned the three categories. One was professional training in. Um, Ms. Tarloff actually started probably one of the most successful you know, neighborhood grocery stores in our city uh, 17 years ago with her husband dedicated every day of her life to that business. I can tell you because I was a frequent uh, customer of that place. Uh, she didn't know me from anyone. She put her head down, did her job. She interacted from the perspective of a small business and interacted with the MTA probably more than any agency. And those are some of the things that we heard about um, in committee. Um, and you're right, it doesn't say anywhere in the charter that there needs to be a small business seat. But I, I will say, because of the impact of many of the decisions that the MTA has made um, and continues to make and the impact it has along commercial corridors, I think it's important to have that voice. Um, she is a frequent, um, someone that rides a bike. She has a family. Uh, she owns a car. She rides public transportation. I think she brings a broad perspective. And I would say there's probably other members of the MTA commission that also don't have professional city planning training and transportation training. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's okay. I think it's okay to have a, a broad range of perspectives. So I feel comfortable supporting uh, Ms. Tarloff after um, talking with her extensively and hearing her speak in committee. Um, but I do agree with the spirit of what you're saying, Supervisor Preston. We certainly want people to come with the utmost level of qualifications, particularly when we have an agency that is consistently in the crosshairs with the community. And I can tell you, that was the one question I asked her in terms of her top priority, 
and she said her number one priority was to ensure that the agency is doing a better job in community outreach and communication and interfacing with businesses in the community on all of the decisions that they make. And I think that for me is what sold me in terms of what, what kind of commissioner I think she will be. So I feel comfortable supporting her today. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Safai. Supervisor Mandelman. Uh, thank you, President Peskin. I will confess that I'm not un unbiased in, on, in this and that I have worked with, um, uh, with Janet Tarlov uh, the entirety of the time that I've been on the Board of Supervisors um, in her capacity as a, uh, as a small business leader in, um, in, uh, in Glen Park and also as a resident of my district. Um, I have seen her consistently go above and beyond for the merchants in that area and for the merchants citywide. And I do think that in a moment when uh, merchants citywide are feeling put upon by the city in all sorts of ways, um, including the MTA, um, that uh, it is important to have strong uh, small business representation on that body. So um, I strongly support this appointment. Supervisor Stephanie. Thank you, President Peskin. Yeah, I just want to add my voice and say that I believe there absolutely has to be a bridge between the uh, SFMTA and the small business community, given how much we rely on our small businesses in our economy. And this nominee uh, has said she uses all modes of transportation, has employed people who rely on all modes of transportation, deeply understands the impact of our SFMTA on small businesses and their performance, and she's well connected to our merchants across the city. Um, she knew um, a lot of merchants in District 2, very impressed with her. I feel like this is a seat uh, that absolutely needs the... Um, experience of someone who owns a small business, and I see no reason uh, not uh, to support her. Also, you know, I would just want to thank her for even putting her name forward. I know it's not always easy, um, given uh, some of the things that can be said about one when they are trying to serve their city and county, so I am very happy to support this candidate today. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Stephanie. Supervisor Chan. Thank you. I, I concur with the sentiment that Supervisor Preston expressed in terms of, um, you know, Ms. Tarloff not having a, a very uh, deep understanding about um, transit and its operation um, and, and the fact that um, when I asked her uh, when was the last time she attended the meeting or attend the SFMTA board director's meeting? Um, I believe that she mentioned was uh, December 5th when she uh, realized that she could be appointed to the position. And, and so I, and you know, I, I think my team also asked questions like around, you know, uh, perspective around slow streets and some other uh, uh, critical issues uh, pertaining to the Richmond. Uh, but I do agree that uh, also what other colleagues has mentioned um, how important it is to have a small business uh, perspective. And most definitely the Richmond deserves to have a small business representation um, and, and perspective when we, uh, especially around Gary BRT and some other issues, that we see that how critical it is uh, for our small business owners to be able to um, voice their opinions and be heard. Um, I had so... And, and I really want to thank Chair Ronan uh, and her committee's work uh, on this. And uh, I, I agree that just a few more months, and then so let's give it uh, a, a chance to see how we can uh, learn more about Ms. Tolleroff and but really the entire uh, SFMTA board directors. Um, it's critical few months. In fact, uh, we're going to uh, look at their budget 
that's coming before us. Uh, it's an agency that suffer um, deficits, uh, but it's not just because of pandemic, but actually longstanding deficits. So I look forward to having someone like Ms. Tarlov, while not really have a deep understanding of the agency, but at least bringing the small business perspective. One more thing that I want to say about Ms. Tarlov during my conversation with her that actually um, makes sense for me is really uh, majority of that uh, almost 40 minutes conversation that she really mentioned about the workers. The workers that in her business and how challenging it is for her workers to get to work um, and that it's part of the, her consideration about her workforce and supporting the workers. And I think that's a perspective where I, I like to hear more uh, on the board directors. Uh, so I will be in support of, of her appointment today. Thank you. On the item of roll call, please. On item 31, <clears throat> Supervisor Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Supervisor Preston. Preston, no. Supervisor Ronan. Ronan, aye. Supervisor Safayi. Safayi, aye. Supervisor Stephanie. Stephanie, aye. Supervisor Walton. Walton, aye. Supervisor Chan. Chan, aye. Supervisor Dorsey. Dorsey, aye. Supervisor Engardio. Engardio, aye. Supervisor Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. And Supervisor Melgar. Melgar, aye. There are 10 ayes and one no with Supervisor Preston voting no. Okay, the motion is approved and why don't we go to our 230 special order commendation, Supervisor Ronan. And if I can call up Hallie Hammer to the front. Dr. Hammer. Hello, colleagues. It is my absolute pleasure and honor to be honoring and recognizing Dr. Hallie Hammer, who is retiring from the Department of Public Health at the end of this month after an impressive three decades of service. After graduating from Amherst College, Dr. Hammer also received a medical degree from Albert Einstein College of Medicine and conducted a residency at UCSF. She served the community as a family physician at SF General Hospital, caring for families and watching them grow for more than 20 years. Her involvement at General didn't stop there. She was also part of the hospital's residency program, served on the hospital's leadership team, and rose to medical director of the Family Health Center. Dr. Hammer has dedicated her entire career to our Department of Public Health. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> and has served in many different leadership positions. These include most recently serving as the director of ambul ambul ah, ambulatory care, which encompasses some of the most challenging parts of our public health system, including jail health, primary care, including HIV services, maternal child health, and whole person integrated care. Dr. Hammer also, also oversees all of DPH's 14 community clinics. Small jobs. <laughs> During her time as director, Dr. Hammer oversaw successful renovations of primary care clinics, including Maxing Hall in District 5, Southeast Health Center in District 10, and Castro Mission in District 8. These renovations led to increased accessibility for patients and a wider scope of services for the communities that they serve. Dr. Hammer was a key informant and implementer of the 2012 Health Reform Affordable Co uh, Coverage Act, ACA, readiness assessment commissioned by DPH and the controller's office. This assessment led to the creation of the San Francisco Health Network as the single integrated delivery system best structured to meet the demands of the ACA. 
Her early work in the area continues to guide and evolve current SFHN operational improvements. During COVID, she was integral in setting up the shelter-in-place system of care. She helped to expand ambulatory care across access to COVID resource hubs, including bringing vaccinations and testing to our communities. Dr. Hammer has been a guiding force for the department's Department of Behavioral Health Services, supporting Dr. Hillary Cunnan since she joined DPH. Dr. Hammer has also served on the steering committee for Mental Health SF for the past five years, uh, which is where I really began uh, to get to know her and uh, be a, a strong admirer of her work. Not only is her knowledge and experience of these issues vast, but she is deeply compassionate among one of the hardest workers in our city and has demonstrated such a strong commitment to the pa patients in our city systems. Her coworkers describe her as the consummate colleague and public health leader. Her enormous dedication and thoughtfulness in strengthening health services for San Franciscans has led to a stronger and more effective safety net health system. Dr. Hammer has served the city that we love so much for 30 years, and I, cannot, and I can tell you with complete certainty that her many contributions have made profound and lasting impacts on our residents. <clears throat> I am so proud to have worked with you, Dr. Hammer, and uh, I hope you are very excited and have a very fulfilling retirement, even as we cry <laughs> as you leave us. Uh, but really, you deserve it, and congratulations, and thank you so, so much. And if you don't mind, before you um, say some remarks, I wanted to invite up uh, Dr. Colfax, uh, who also would like to say a few words about you, uh, if you'll oblige. Thank you, Supervisor Ronan and Dr. Hammer. As they say in this business, I associate myself with the comments of Supervisor Ronan. Good to see you and thank you for your work. And you deserve retirement, but we don't want to see you go. Director Colfax. Good afternoon, Mr. President and Board. I just um, thank you so much for that incredible narrative of Dr. Hammer's accomplishments, and she has made incredible contributions to the health and wellness of San Francisco. I've had the privilege of knowing Dr. Hammer since we began our residency um, at Zuckerberg San Francisco General. I don't think when we started at that time that we believed we'd ever be in this room together. Um, but just to emphasize that, particularly in the last five years, um, Dr. Hammer's role in the behavioral health work where she stepped in um, in addition to her ambulatory care job, essentially as acting director of behavioral health, so had two massive jobs, her incredible contributions during uh, COVID, um, and the work that she's done in really insisting and driving changes in infrastructure in our primary care clinics um, so that people, the families and communities that we serve can receive um, the most outstanding care possible. So her legacy will resonate in San Francisco for decades to come. And I think the other thing that, just to emphasize that I so appreciate about Dr. Hammer is that she continued to have her weekly clinic every week as a primary care family physician modeling for all of us to make sure that we keep the patients, the clients we serve first and foremost in our mind, no matter where we are in administration in the health department. So Dr. Hammer, on behalf of your patients that you've seen in your clinic, I thank you for your service. Thank you, Dr. Colfax. 
Dr. Hammer. Thank you so much. Thank you, Supervisor Ronan and, um, and all the members of the Board of Supervisors for this incredible honor. Thank you so much to my friend and colleague, uh, Director Colfax, for his inspiration and, and support and his kind words. Um, just a few things. Um, I, I just have to say that serving the people of San Francisco um, through working in the Department of Public Health really since um, I started my residency at, at San Francisco General Hospital um, 30 years ago has been um, an incredibly fulfilling, rewarding, um, inspiring, and sometimes very exhausting professional journey. It really was my, um, my dream uh, when I um, first set foot at, at San Francisco General to serve the people of San Francisco as a family doctor working in the, in the public health system. Um, and and it's, uh, it's, it's hard to come to the end of this part of my professional journey, especially as Director Colfax mentioned, saying goodbye to my patients, some of whom I literally have been taking care of since since they were born, um, since, uh, since I met them in the neonatal nursery as, as parents. Um, uh, many, many patients I've been taking care of for, for almost 30 years. Um, so, I'm so, I'm so incredibly grateful for this um, rewarding work. Um, I've been blessed to work alongside really the most mission-driven, compassionate, inspiring, innovative, and justice-oriented uh, public servants throughout my whole career. I could not have imagined what it meant to be, uh, to be a family doctor in the, in the safety net when I embarked on this journey um, uh, three decades ago. Um, and it's amazing to look at what we've done over these last three decades, not just fighting a global pandemic, but, but really, um, uh, just building infrastructure, building systems, all um, intended to improve the lives and well-being of San Franciscans. And working with you, Supervisors Ronan, Mandel Mandelman, Supervisor Walton, um, as we sat with our community partners and envisioned transforming um, our behavioral health system to better meet the needs of people experiencing homelessness who also were suffering from serious mental health issues, from substance use disorder and other, mental, other uh, medical problems. We, we envisioned this transformation and, and started uh, the work of, um, of passing the Mental Health SF um, legislation and then the hard work of implementing it. Um, and, and that's really been one of the most fulfilling um, and albeit challenging parts of my career. And I'm, I, I couldn't be more um, grateful for your partnership and um, really to all the board for your commitment to improving the health and well-being of all San Franciscans, um, especially San Franciscans with the biggest health challenges, with the biggest barriers to getting excellent care, people experiencing homelessness, to all the San Franciscans who rely on us for their health care. That's well over 100,000 San Franciscans who come to us for their regular health care and come to our hospitals and clinics, um, and really improving uh, the health and well-being of everybody who lives in this city, who works in this city, and who visits this city. Um, and, um, and I just really appreciate the opportunity to, um, to serve this, the city that I love so much for all these years. So thank you uh, so much uh, for this honor. Thank you, Dr. Hammer, for your service.
Madam Clerk, would you please call item 32? Item 32 was recommended as amended bearing a new title, striking the word rejecting. Item 32 now reads motion to approve the mayor's appointment of Greg Wagner as the controller for the city for a 10-year term pursuant to Charter Section 3.105. Colleagues, this is one of the more momentous votes that any of us will take as members of the Board of Supervisors. I want to thank Chair Ronan and the Rules Committee for forwarding Mr. Wagner's uh, approval to the Board of Supervisors. This will be the third controller that I have had the opportunity to serve with, and Mr. Wagner is feel, filling very large shoes left by Mr. Rosenfield uh, and before him, Ed Harrington. Um, and after Supervisor Ronan speaks, I would like to give Mr. Wagner an opportunity to say a few words. Supervisor Ronan. Thank you so much. President Peskin, um, I really just want to repeat what I said um, at the Rules Committee because uh, this is one of the most important uh, appointments we're, we're going to make. Um, and what I said and what I'll repeat is that when we all got news of Controller Rosenfeld uh, stepping down from his job, my heart sunk immediately, and I thought, oh my God, we're not gonna make it. We're not, like, the city's gonna crumble. The doom loop is gonna be real. <laughs> How are we gonna survive without him in this city? Um, and it kind of stayed, like, you know, stayed there until the mayor announced her appointment of Greg Wagner. And immediately when I got the news, I like, breathed out and was like, we're going to be okay. <laughs> um, I, I really think it's one of the, the best appointments that uh, the mayor has ever made. Um, I have worked with Greg for 14 years, um, and from the moment I began working with him, he has just been a star that, that shines, that is easy to work with, honest, straightforward, creative, has integrity, all of the important essential uh, personality traits of uh, a good controller um, and, and in many ways reminds me of uh, our current controller, Ben Rosenfeld, which, are, uh, which is the biggest compliment I, <laughs> I think I can give. So uh, colleagues, we are in good hands. We're going to be okay. We're going to survive. We're going to continue to thrive. Um, and I just want to once again thank the mayor uh, for making such a fantastic appointment uh, that I uh, could not be more excited about. Thank you. Thank you. Supervisor Ronan, uh, today is not Mr. Rosenfield's day. We will save that for another day. Mr. Wagner, the floor is yours. Thank you so much, uh, President Peskin, uh, members of the Board of Supervisors. Um, through the president to Supervisor Ronan, thank you so much for those uh, kind, kind words. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, I really am uh, deeply honored to have been nominated and to be considered by the board uh, for this position. Um, it really is an inspiring uh, opportunity for me to, to serve the city I love and where I live and where we're, we're raising our family. Um, as you all know, I've spent the last 17 years in financial management and departmental management working on uh, improving city services. 
Um, I, have a, I really have a deep respect for the role of the controller as an institution under the city charter and in the daily workings of our city government. Uh, you have my commitment if you uh, approve my nomination for this position to uh, center my work in the values of honesty, integrity, accountability, respect for others, and unbiased data-driven decision-making. Um, we all know uh, that like many other cities, we have some cha challenging financial times ahead. Uh, I am committed to working with this board and others, uh, the mayor's office and others throughout the city government to uh, help guide us through. And I truly am uh, optimistic about uh, San Francisco and about our ability to tackle those challenges. I'm really eager to work with the incredible team in the controller's office and, and bring the uh, efforts of that team to bear on some of the issues that are facing our city uh, from public safety to homelessness and behavior, behavioral health to the conditions on our streets. Uh, we're clearly in a, a moment of economic transition and I'm eager to dig in uh, and uh, jump into the conversation on data-driven strategies to move our economy forward and sustain our public services. Uh, we also, of course, need to continue the work of bringing ethics and integrity into every aspect of our city government. Um, so I will just lastly uh, acknowledge uh, Ben. Uh, I'm sure, as President Peskin said, uh, he'll get his day as well. Uh, but I have learned so much working with Ben and uh, Ed Harrington before him. And those are lessons about how to run the office, but also how to conduct oneself uh, in, in that role. I'll take those lessons with me if I have the uh, honor of being approved for the position. And then lastly, I'll just say uh, thank you to my uh, colleagues at the Department of Public Health, including Dr. Colfax, uh, who have been uh, great, great supporters throughout my career and the, the last uh, several weeks. Uh, so with that, I will um, uh, leave it to just say uh, thank you again so much for the great honor of being considered uh, for this position. Um, and I'm eager to get to work, and I'm eager to uh, work uh, in partnership uh, with all of you and the, the other uh, stakeholders uh, to, to move the city forward. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Wagner. On the motion, colleagues, a roll call, please. On item 32, Supervisor Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Supervisor Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. Supervisor Ronan. Ronan, aye. Supervisor Safai. Safai, aye. Supervisor Stephanie. Stephanie, I. Supervisor Walton. Walton, I. Supervisor Chan. Aye. Chan, I. Supervisor Dorsey. Aye. Dorsey, I. Supervisor Ingardio. Ingardio, I. Supervisor Mandelman. Mandelman, I. And Supervisor Melgar. Aye. Melgar, I. There are 11 ayes. Congratulations. We will soon have a new controller. The motion is approved. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's downhill from here, Greg. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Madam Clerk, can we go to our 3 p.m. special order? Yes, items 26 through 29 comprise the public hearing of persons interested in the determination of exemption from environmental review under the California Environmental Quality Act issued as a general plan evaluation by the planning department on October 23rd, 2023 for the proposed project at 2395 Sacramento Street uh, and um, to develop an adjacent 3,497 square foot vacant lot at assessor's parcel block number 0637 
lot number 015 to construct a 68,531 square foot, seven story over basement, 78 foot, 10 inch tall residential building containing 24 residential units, 26 below grade vehicle parking spaces, 38 bicycle spaces, and seeking waivers from development standards under the individually requested state density bonus program, including the rear yard exposure height limit within the RM-3 zoning district and a 40X height and bulk district. Items 27 through 29 are the motions pertaining to this matter. Supervisor Stephanie. Thank you, President Peskin. I would like to make a motion to continue items 26 through 29 to our February 6th meeting at the behest of the appellants and with the agreement of both parties. The new scheduled date, um, in between um, now and the new scheduled date, I will be meeting with the planning department as well as convening a meeting amongst the stakeholders to attempt to find a path forward on this project. And I'd like to thank you for your support, continuing this item uh, to allow for these discussions to occur. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Stephanie, and I have been contacted by both the appellant and the project sponsor and am happy to help assist in those discussions in any way should you see fit. Your motion to continue items 26 through 29 was seconded by Supervisor Dorsey. Colleagues, we will take that with Mr. Oh, President. Subject to public comment on the continuance. Are there any members of the public who would like to speak to the continuance for items 26 through 29? Seeing none, public comment is closed, and without objection, same house, same call, if you will, these items are continued to February 6th. Madam Clerk, let's go to roll call for introduction. Roll call for introductions. First member to speak, Mr. President, is you. Uh-oh. Uh, colleagues, I have a relatively long roll call for introductions. Um, let me start by saying that while we tussle about all sorts of things, I think we can all agree that the rent is too damn high. Um, uh, although there has been uh, an intentionally incorrect, if not pernicious, narrative that rents are high because the city has not entitled enough units of market rate housing. And this narrative, despite this board's seemingly endless work to streamline and pass legislation up zoning, thank you, Supervisor Mandelman, to change uh, our inclusionary housing laws. Um, uh, are not the same thing as ensuring that all of our laws are enforced, uh, which frankly requires some management and effort on behalf of just the departments that are responsible for actually issuing streamlined permits on time. I was actually having this conversation with the Chronicle today. Um, and this narrative, I think we all know, uh, is happening despite the city's own data uh, documenting tens of thousands of vacant units of housing across the city, as well as over 70,000 units that have been duly entitled but lack the financing in this economic environment from private lenders to build. Uh, and as we've said before, we don't control the interest rates, we don't control the cost of construction. And obviously these are the very things that 
like I just said, we don't control, but uh, real estate interests in Sacramento uh, and elected officials that support those interests have spun a convenient yarn to mask the very real challenges uh, that the private market uh, is experiencing. Um, and other special interests like how the Housing Action Coalition here don't even pretend that they want the rents to go down. As a matter of fact, maybe you've all seen the recent viral video of hack lobbyist Corey Smith, who appears in these chambers from time to time, uh, which documents him f flippantly educating the Planning Commission last Thursday on the need for higher rents to drive development deals. This in a region with some of the highest rents in the United States of America. At the same time, our existing tenants face consolidation of institutional ownership of our precious rent-controlled housing stock, as we recently saw with private equity company Brookfield, uh, which despite very publicly having financial problems and giving back the keys to various buildings in Southern California, has overnight become San Francisco's largest landlord by gobbling up a large chunk of Veritas's portfolio of some 2,000 apartments. Many of these renters are our constituents, a lot of them are my constituents, and I'm frankly quite concerned uh, that this kind of consolidation has been shown to increase pressure on tenants uh, and lead to higher rates of eviction. In addition, Brookfield is a client of RealPage, a rental pricing algorithm software used by most institutional landlords, which has been accused in several recent federal class action lawsuits of facilitating a price fixing scheme with artificially, which artificially inflates rents and artificially creates scarcity. And while the city and county of San Francisco does not have control over the private market or interest rates or construction costs, there are things that we can do and should do and have done to push back on this industry spawn narrative. So today I'm announcing my request for the city attorney's office to draft legislation banning this antitrust, anti-competitive practice of using algorithmic software to price fix and artificially inflate rents uh, and encourage uh, the city and the city attorney to initiate or join lawsuits uh, against such practices and against such companies. Uh, I am also announcing legislation to amend our Community Opportunity to Purchase Act, commonly called COPA, to include noticing to qualified nonprofits under a deed in lieu of foreclosure process, which we anticipate seeing more of in this current real estate market. If there are opportunities for the city to partner with affordable housing developers on small site acquisitions, opportunities to preserve affordable housing and keep people in their homes, these are the types of investments that the city should be planning for now and having notice of. I'm also introducing a resolution putting San Francisco on the record as formally opposing Senate Bill 951, introduced by our own Senator Scott Weiner last Thursday, uh, which is an attempt to carve San Francisco, uh, or the little sliver of San Francisco, I should say, uh, out of its half-century inclusion in the coastal zone under the environmental protection of the California Coastal Commission. As a former member of the Coastal Commission, where we approved countless local coastal plans and delegated state authority to cities and counties up and down from the Mexican border to the Oregon border, um, 
including San Francisco's, uh, matter of fact, Supervisor Angardio's predecessor, uh, Katie Tang, worked on the Ocean Master Plan, which amended the Local Coastal Plan, which was approved by the Coastal Commission on a unanimous vote when I was a member of that commission. I was frankly shocked by Senator Wiener's uh, what I consider to be reckless disregard for decades uh, of local community-led planning efforts by the city and county of San Francisco and environmental groups. And uh, I was particularly shocked to see in that legislation that the city and county of San Francisco is listed as the legislative sponsor when the policy body of San Francisco, that is the Board of Supervisors, had never heard of this carve-out nor taken a position on it. Um, of glaring note, the Senate bill would specifically carve out the 50-story proposed high-rise on Slope Boulevard from any reasonable oversight. I want to thank my co-sponsors so far for drawing a bright line around the precedent that this would set, which is not that other counties would start to carve themselves out of long-established environmental protections and oversight, but rather that moneyed real estate interests, the single biggest lobby in Sacramento, would know that they can invest uh, in senators and assembly people and that there is an appetite in Sacramento to start eroding the Coastal Act. I would like to thank the, San uh, the Surfrider Foundation San Francisco chapter, Azul, and the California Coastal Protection Network for standing up to the big real estate interests in the face of this naked power grab and being supporters of this resolution. Additionally, after reviewing the disturbing results of uh, Controller Rosenfield's audit of uh, the San Francisco Police Department's uh, grant with a uh, nonprofit group, SF Safe, uh, as well as seeing uh, Chief Scott's remarks in the press that do not squarely address this blatant misuse of taxpayer uh, funds, I'm calling for a hearing at the Government Audit and Oversight to com Committee to hear. Uh, from the police department as to its accounting practices or lack thereof uh, from um, SF Safe and their board members uh, who are responsible for uh, the oversight of that organization as well as from the Office of Economic and Workforce Development that has uh, also made grants to SF Safe. Uh, Finally, colleagues, I would like to adjourn today's board meeting in the memory of several individuals, starting with beloved community member and tireless worker Reuben Winkler, who passed uh, recently at the very young age of 49. Reuben was a beloved extended family member of the tight-knit restaurant community in San Francisco, serving as a waiter and server at the iconic Zuni Cafe for three decades and will be greatly missed. He would walk to work every day from his home in Hayes Valley, and his kind heart and warm smile were a welcome sight to all who have uh, broken bread at Zuni over the years. He was a loving husband, father, son, brother, and colleague, as well as a good friend to so many people. Always ready and willing to give a helping hand and bringing quiet joy and sparking laughter to those around him, I'd like to offer my sincere condolences to his wife Martha and daughter Aileen for the, this painful loss and hope they can be comforted knowing how many lives Reuben quietly touched. I'd also like to adjourn today's meeting in the memory of a true San Francisco legend, the great Joan Holden, longtime San Francisco mime troupe playwright who recently passed at the age of 85 from cancer. It wasn't just that she was resident playwright 
for the San Francisco Mime Troupe for 32 years, a position of such political and artistic might as to influence the national conversation about the Vietnam War, women's liberation, civil rights, and other progressive causes, a position that could rightly call itself the theatrical pen of the free speech movement and one of the artistic engines behind the countercultural movement as a whole. What defined Joan and her unique character can be summed up in her own words. I never wrote anything that wasn't produced, so I felt like I had the best job in the world. She would often point out that dance company leaders routinely get, uh, don't get all of their work produced, so more playwrights should, or that, rather that dance company leaders routinely get their work produced as compared to playwrights uh, who should enjoy the same. Joan authored or collaborated on scores of plays. Uh, during her tenure at the Mime Troupe, the company won the 1987 Regional Theater Tony Award, the highest nationwide honor a theater outside of New York can earn. Joan and I shared a common background, Berkeley-born, liberal Jewish upbringing, albeit she was born just a few years before I was. Uh, she first encountered the mime troupe through her actor, uh, then husband Arthur Holden, uh, who she married at the age of 19 after meeting him at Reed College. And seeing the troupe perform at a festival there, uh, she recalled something clicked, the amount of energy on the stage, the fun that people seemed to be having. And then they moved, uh, in her case, back to Berkeley. I'd like to extend my sincere condolences on behalf of the Board of Supervisors to Joan's surviving, Joan's surviving brother, three daughters, and seven grandchildren, as well as the extended family of political creatives she helped mentor and inspire through her decades of legendary work. And finally, with heavy hearts, I want to remember and honor the life and extraordinary San Franciscan Jim Hurley, who passed away unexpectedly on the night of January 2nd. Jim lived on Coleridge Street on the west slope of Bernal, where he embarked on a mission to restore the grandeur of his home's original Victorian facade. The property had lost most of his charm with the original facade removed generations before. After he purchased the home, Jim set out to restore the facade and return it to its original Victorian splendor. His dedication to preserving the architectural beauty transformed him into a larger, broader passion uh, around property and property rights, uh, which even though I was just speaking about COPA and tenant protections, uh, ended up having him play a pivotal role in shaping the San Francisco Apartment Association, where he served as the treasurer for many years and was really uh, pivotal in uh, the organization's trans uh, transformation into uh, the professionally run trade association it is today. He was appointed by Mayor Newsom uh, to, as a commissioner on the rent board, uh, where he served for many years. Um, and I want to personally note that his friendship with the late, great Norm Larson, a fellow preservationist, highlighted not only his commitment uh, to the Apartment Association, but also his support for the LGBTQ community. In a city known for its diversity, Jim found a home where friendship, activism, and business coexisted and where he made a difference and a lot of friends. The rest I will submit. Thank you, Mr. President. Supervisor Preston. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, colleagues, uh, today, this morning, we were joined by um, over 200 people in the Fillmore 
to celebrate the organizing victory that led to Safeway postponing plans to close their Webster Street location uh, and to push for a community-led plan for the site. Um, I want to start by thanking uh, President Peskin and Supervisor Walton and Supervisor Safai um, for joining this morning uh, and standing with the community. Um, and I want to thank and recognize all the advocates and neighbors who stood up against Safeway's plan um, and uh, led to this change that was announced yesterday. Um, while I am pleased and relieved that the community organizing combined with support from elected leaders led Safeway to change their plans, um, I want to note the following fact. Safeway still has not held a single, a single community meeting with Fillmore neighborhood residents, with the residents of Japantown, with the residents of the Western Edition regarding their closure plans, now delayed, their development plans for the site and plan to sell the site, or any planning for alternative grocery services, pharmacy services, banking services that are all currently provided at that location and what will happen in the event of eventual closure of that store. Now, later in this meeting, I'll be asking for your support, and thank you, many of you who have already co-sponsored our resolution that I introduced on January 9th, urging Safeway uh, to delay closure of the store and also to meet with and involve the community in plans for this site. And that resolution helped amplify the voices of residents and played a part in building pressure on Safeway to take a different course here. Today, I'm announcing an ordinance that goes a step further by requiring, not urging, but requiring notification and community involvement when neighboring, neighborhood serving grocery stores close. So back on January 4th, colleagues, you'll recall that Safeway announced their abrupt closure with less than two months notice of this grocery that served the Fillmore and surrounding communities for over 40 years. And I talked about that on January 9th when we introduced our resolution. I won't repeat myself here. I'll just say that they announced a closure less than 60 days notice with no community plan, no transition plan. And then they claimed after initial pressure from the community and from our office that their plans were firm that they would not change, and that they were indeed going to close in March. After their definitive response on January 22nd, yesterday, following tremendous community unity and community pressure, and on the eve of our vote on that resolution, Safeway announced their plan to extend the closure date from March 2024 to January 2025 to give the community and the city more time to establish a transition plan. And I applaud that announcement and we welcome this good news. But we also note that Safeway still has not provided details regarding their commitments to the community. They have not provided that to community leaders or to the Board of Supervisors, nor have they committed to meet with the community 
in any way, shape, or form. I have no doubt whatsoever that this Safeway would not have committed to remain open until January of next year without the organizing efforts of hundreds of residents in the community. I want to thank all the community groups, leaders, individual residents, small businesses, and others who pushed for Safeway to reverse course. But I also want to be clear that what Safeway did here should never have happened in the first place. And that is why I have directed, I'm directing uh, the city attorney to draft the Neighborhood Grocery Protection Act, a legislative effort that is both old and new. And what I mean by that is our law will seek to mirror a law from back in 1984, a law passed in these chambers by the Board of Supervisors, but vetoed by the late mayor, Dianne Feinstein. And that law, facing similar situations with closure of a Safeway, that one on Bush and Larkin, I believe, that law would have required six-month notification, six-month, not 60 days, six-month notification to the community publicly, community involvement when a neighborhood ser serving grocery store closes, and other aspects were in that law. So our, our ordinance similarly will require six months notice prior to closing a neighborhood serving grocery store, a requirement to meet with community members well in advance of closure, and a requirement, and this is in the 1984 law as well, a requirement to explore a replacement supermarket. It is not acceptable to close a major grocery store that a community relies on and not even have a discussion with the city and with the community about alternatives. You want to close your grocery store? That's fine. You're a business. Let's find someone else to run that grocery store, or let's open a new one elsewhere on the site. And if we're building housing there, let's put on the ground floor a grocery store. These are things we can and should be doing, but the community and the city needs to have a chance to know about the closure in advance. I'm pleased that on the Fillmore site, we will have that opportunity now. Um, but we need this legislation. We need this legislation to force safe way to engage with the community, and also to protect all the grocery stores, all the residents who rely on grocery stores in all your districts across the city. And we need to be very clear that that legislation from back in the 80s was a good idea then, and I'd argue it's an even better idea now, given escalating food prices, cuts to food banks, rising food insecurity, and the increased consolidation of grocery stores that are increasingly owned by multi-billion dollar national and international corporations instead of the mom and pop shops that many grew up on in a different generation. We need to be clear that giving the community two months notice that the only full service grocery store in a neighborhood would be closing is unacceptable under any circumstance. We need notice, and this law will provide notice, transparency, community input, and a transition plan when a major 
neighborhood grocery plans to shut its doors. And I can't emphasize this enough. We need grocery stores like Safeway in the future to attend a community meeting. I can't believe we have to ask for that in legislative chambers. That's just common decency. Hold a community meeting, attend a community meeting that is open to the public, listen to the people in the community, discuss the plans for the property, answer the residents' questions, come up with a plan to make sure that the closure does not harm the community. So I'm looking forward to working with the city attorney on updating that 1984 law, working with all of you colleagues in the community on this legislation to ensure that what happened in the last few weeks and the turmoil it's caused to the residents of the Fillmore and Japantown and Western Edition never happens again. And as to the Fillmore site, that we move from urging them to meet with the community and involving the community to requiring them to meet with the community and have a community-led plan for this property. Madam Clerk, I'd also like to offer today an in memoriam for Richard Darnell May, a housing rights activist, an actor, and a friend. Richard May passed away on October 28, 2023, at the age of 58. He's preceded in death by his two brothers, Gilbert May and Lloyd May. He's survived by his mother, Gloria Peeler, his brother, Norman May, his sisters, Brenda May and Maureen Peeler. He leaves behind many friends and loved ones. Richard was born on July 8, 1958, in the South Bronx in New York City. He attended Christopher Columbus High School. In 1982, he received his Associate of Arts degree in Drama and Modern Literature from Greenfield, Massachusetts. He attended Westfield State College in the Pioneer Valley, Massachusetts from 1982 to 1985, where he received his Bachelor of Science in Economics. In 2009, he attended San Francisco State University and became a certified occupancy specialist in affordable housing. From 2012 to 2013, he attended City College of San Francisco, where he took courses in construction management. Richard was an artist. He was a poet, a playwright, an author, and an actor. You could find Richard regularly at open mic nights across the city, reading poetry or performing monologues under the name The Actor. He published short stories and a moving five-act play called The Caldwell Index, where the audience is a fly on the wall of an African-American psychiatrist's office. He said of his play, and I quote, my hope is that the audience will leave the play thinking they need to be more careful with what they say to one another, understanding the hurt and pain that can so easily be inflicted by a single word or phrase. Richard understood what it meant to hurt and what it meant to heal. At points in his life, he struggled with addiction and experienced homelessness and lived on the streets. Richard worked for the Coalition on Homelessness, and he was a longtime volunteer with Tenants Together and the Housing Rights Committee of San Francisco. 
Tommy Avicola Mecca, an organizer at the Housing Rights Committee, worked closely with Richard. And he said this after Richard's passing. Richard was homeless when he started volunteering his time. He showed up reliably every day and quickly became one of the sharpest tenant rights counselors. He was probably the only person, staff or volunteer, who would often wear a suit and tie to the Housing Rights Committee office. He was incredibly charming, had a great sense of humor, and was warm and disarming with people who came to him for help during their time of crisis. He was a big part of the Housing Rights Committee family. I will always miss his strong Bronx accent and his passion for justice, his journey from homeless to and unemployed to working stage actor should be an inspiration to all. Richard was the rare type of person who made that happen in his life." Close quote. Richard was set to make his stage debut in an African-American Shakespeare Company adaptation of Miller's play, Death of a Salesman, on the day of his death. I would like to extend my condolences to Richard's family and friends of which I count myself. We all miss him terribly. May he rest in peace, and may his memory be a blessing. The rest I submit. Thank you, Supervisor Preston. Supervisor Ronan. Thank you, colleagues. Mayor Breed and I are partnering to introduce legislation that improves the permitting and enforcement of sidewalk vending citywide. Sidewalk vending has always been a vibrant part of the culture and the mission in my district, but in recent years, as you all know, fencers of stolen goods have created chaos and unsafe conditions surrounding our legitimate street vendors. We all want to see a city sidewalk vending program that is successful, that supports legitimate vendors following the rules, and that maintains the health, safety, and welfare of our neighborhoods. That's why we're introducing these legislative amendments that are informed by our city workers, community partners, and sidewalk vendors themselves. They clarify information that must appear on a permit, strengthen enforcement, and streamline the authority of the San Francisco Public Works Department. These changes alone won't solve all our problems, but they're one valuable step in addressing how we manage and support legitimate street vending while making sure our neighborhoods can thrive. Um, I just want to thank Sheila Chung-Hagen for her hard work on this legislation, uh, as well as Bobby Lopez from the mayor's office, Andres Powers from the mayor's office, and Santiago Lerma, who is now at the Department of Emergency Management. The rest I submit. Thank you, Supervisor Ronan. Supervisor Safai, submit, thank you. Supervisor Stephanie. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Colleagues, today I'm introducing a resolution declaring the week of January 22nd, 2024 to January 26th as Gun Violence Survivors Week in San Francisco. In 2018, gun violence prevention advocates launched Moments That Survive to uplift voices and stories of those who have been impacted by gun violence. From the plague of mass shootings, domestic violence incidents involving guns, suicides, homicides, and even unintentional shootings, the specter of gun violence in its many forms holds us all hostage. Less than a week ago, there was a mass shooting event in the Tenderloin that left one person dead and four others with life-threatening injuries. Just tw 23 days into the new year, 44 people have lost their lives and 77 more were gravely injured in 24 mass shootings across this nation. By early February, 
more Americans will have been killed with guns than people are killed in our peer countries in an entire calendar year. This is our normal. We had 657 mass shootings in 2023 and 644 in 2022. It's just getting worse. And of course, we all know that firearms are now the leading cause of death for children and teens. Each National Gun Violence Awareness Week, we honor and remember all victims and survivors of gun violence and affirm that we as a country must do more to reduce gun violence in every single community across this country. We must remember the toll gun violence takes on victims and their families and recommit to doing everything we can to ensure that all communities can live free from gun violence. With this resolution, we renew our commitment to reduce gun violence and pledge to do all that we can to keep firearms out of the wrong hands. And to that end, colleagues, I'm also submitting a letter of inquiry to our public safety agencies to ask for more information regarding how they discard firearms acquired in crimes, buybacks, and firearms that no longer hold their utility. In December of last year, the New York Times published an investigative report detailing how hundreds of towns and cities have turned to a growing industry that offers to destroy guns used in crimes, guns that are surrendered in buybacks, or those replaced by police force upgrades, but in this effort are inadvertently fueling an arms market. According to reporting by the Times, in a review of public gun disposal contracts and online postings, weapons slated for destruction are recycled into civilian hands, often with no background check required. These upcycled parts are also often found in ghost guns. Just last week, the San Francisco Standard reported that ghost guns make up nearly half of the guns being used in killings in San Francisco. And in California, San Francisco had the third highest number of ghost guns used in crimes in 2022, with 1,132. I want to make certain that under no, under no uncertain terms, San Francisco is not in any way complicit in bolstering this industry. As such, I will also be asking the city attorney to draft legislation to ensure that guns that San Francisco disposes of do not end up in the wrong hands. I am also introducing a hearing today, a hearing request asking the mayor's executive steering committee overseeing the city's implementation of SB 43 to report on its implementation. SB 43 was intended to help modernize California's mental health services and substance, uh, substance use disorder treatment systems, both of which have been outdated for far too long. The law updates the definition for those eligible for conservatorship to include those who live with severe substance use disorder and those who are unable to provide for their own personal safety or necessary medical care. I'd like to thank the mayor for her leadership on this issue and her work in ensuring that our city is set up for successful implementation of this legislation. More than 50% of San Francisco's unhoused residents self-support substance use challenges, emphasizing the profound impacts of untreated substance use disorder and mental illness on the health and safety of our community. My hope is that these hearings, which I intend to hold at least twice a year, will show greater coordination among our departments and progress on one of our city's most pressing issues. And I want to thank Supervisor Mandelman for your support and early co-sponsorship of this hearing, and I look forward to our continued collaboration with the mayor's leadership to ensure the successful implementation of SB 43 and address the critical needs of our community. Also, I'm submitting a request to the Budget and Legislative Analyst Office 
asking them to research and report on how the city evaluates a contractor's labor practices and history of potential labor violations when they submit a bid with the city, if they do at all. According to data from the controller's office, the city actively manages over 10,000 contracts for a range of critical goods and services to the tune of over $5 billion per year on average. These contracts support thousands of jobs outside of the city and county of San Francisco's direct oversight. In recent years, media outlets, outlets have reported on labor complaints that have been lodged against certain city contractors alleging wage theft and other possible workplace violations. As such, it is imperative that we do we all do our what we can to ensure that contracted businesses and nonprofits providing city services uphold high standards in their treatment of employees. At a minimum, they must comply with labor laws. Over the years, we have passed a number of landmark ordinances that demonstrate our commitment to protecting workers and ensuring that city resources are spent ethically and responsibly. San Francisco has led on a number of workers' rights initiatives, including minimum wage increases, paid parental leave, workplace safety and health, and more. At present, however, it is unclear the extent to which our agencies examine how prospective and existing contractors uphold and comply with our local as well as other state and federal labor standards. San Francisco has and always will be a strong labor town. It is our responsibility to make sure that the workforce delivering those outsourced goods and essential services are being treated with the dignity and respect that they deserve and that are enshrined in the law. And finally, I just want to take, uh, take a moment to thank the mayor for all the efforts um, she made in making sure that the Fillmore Grocery Store stayed open. I know that she was working on that hard. I, I was not mentioned in previous comments, and I want to make sure that credit is given where credit is due and that everyone know that the mayor, um, whether you like her or not, uh, participated greatly in making sure that um, the Safeway at Fillmore um, location uh, stayed open. So thank you to the mayor for that. Thank you, Supervisor Stephanie. Supervisor Walton. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Colleagues, today I have an in memoriam for Mr. Eddie Lee Cottrell. Eddie Lee Cottrell was a respected U.S. veteran, longtime San Francisco resident, and community leader who truly embodied the spirit of public service. He was known throughout San Francisco for his tireless efforts to rally and empower the Patrell Hill community to ensure their voices were heard, not forgotten, and their spirits remained encouraged. Eddie joined the National A. Philip Randolph Institute, San Francisco chapter in 1995 as a volunteer for then campaigning Mayor Willie Brown. Over the next 28 years working with APRI, his accomplishments have been particularly impactful in his community, spearheading summer programs, food giveaways, and workforce development in his community. His role as a sergeant in arms in the organization showcases his commitment to ensuring the safety and well-being of his fellow members and neighbors. Above all, Eddie was a beacon of hope for his community, providing valuable support, love, and heartfelt care at every turn. Every holiday season, Dressing up as Santa for the community's children brought him immense joy. One of his most notable accomplishments was his participation in every election, driving Patrol Hill residents to the polls, making campaign calls, registering voters, 
and his feet to the pavement work, flyering door to door throughout San Francisco and Lakeview, Fillmore, Sunnydale, and Hunters Point communities faithfully. Actively pairing closely with the District 10 office and mayor's office, Eddie has been instrumental in initiatives such as the walking school bus, which safely assisted children of the Patrell Hill community to and from school. During his tenure as San Francisco Housing Authority tenant presidency, he advocated for rental rights, assistance, and rehabilitation programs for residents. He also attended numerous NARS conferences across the United States as a representative for APRI, discussing legislation that directly affects housing and community development in urban areas. Eddie will be deeply missed by those who knew him dearly and those friendly faces met along the way. His voice, presence, and energy have made him a constant source of inspiration and power for those around him. May his legacy remind us of the impact one dedicated individual can make. The rest I submit. Thank you, Supervisor Walton. Supervisor Safai, did you want to say yeah, something? I just, I just wanted to thank Supervisor Walton for honoring Eddie and the Cottrell family. Eddie was one of the very first people I met when I moved to San Francisco almost 24 years ago. And I just want to say, as somebody that was a lifelong public housing resident, he was a lifelong advocate, and constantly, constantly, as Supervisor Walton said, was just putting others in front of himself. And until his dying day, I was getting text messages from him, fighting for other people, and asking me to pray for them. And so I, I really want to say, if we could end the meeting in his, the whole board in his honor, I think it would be great, um, if that's okay with you, Supervisor. For the entire board. We'll make that from the entire board without objection. Thank you, Supervisor Walton, for honoring him today. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Thank you, Supervisor Safagi. Thank you, Mr. President. And now we'll go to Supervisor Chan. Submit. Thank you. Supervisor Dorsey. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, sadly, I have two in memoria today. <clears throat> First colleagues, I have an in memoriam today for Dayan Milojevich, a beloved assistant coach in his third season with the Golden State Warriors, who was an instrumental part of the team's coaching staff dur during the Warriors' run to the 2022 NBA championship, which our city was so thrilled to celebrate. Coach Malayevich passed away on January 17th after suffering a heart attack in Salt Lake City, Utah. He was just 46 years old. Prior to joining the Warriors organization, Coach Malayevich spent the 2021 season as a head coach of KK Budachnost in the Adriatic League in Montenegro. <clears throat> Before that, he served as the head coach for KK Megabasket in Belgrade, Serbia for eight seasons from 2012 to 2020. In December 2019, he was named an assistant coach for the Serbian national team. Coach Milijevic also served as a staff member for the Houston Rockets in 2018, the San Antonio Spurs in 2017, and the Atlanta Hawks in 2016. A native of Belgrade, Dejan enjoyed a 14-year career also as an international basketball player, and he was named the Adriatic League's most valuable player three times between 2004 and 2006. Even the, to those, of us who didn't know Coach Milijevic personally, who may only have watched or read the sad news unfold on ESPN or in the sports pages. The outpouring of testimonials from those whose lives he touched spoke powerfully to the loss of a uniquely extraordinary person. 
Coach Steve Kerr spoke of him as being one of the most positive and beautiful human beings I have ever known. Someone who brought joy and light to every single day with his passion and energy. Others whose lives he changed as a coach or player, family member or friend, attested to similarly remarkable qualities, including one who observed, I can only say he was the best person in the world of basketball. We joined the Golden State Warriors organization, the NBA, the international basketball community. In mourning the tragic loss of assistant coach Dejan Milojevic, to all who know him, to, uh, to all who knew him, know too that the heartfelt condolences of a grateful city go out to you, and most especially to the family members he leaves behind, his wife Natasa and his children Nicola and Masa. Rest in peace, coach. Uh, next, <clears throat> for Rick Perina. Colleagues, it is with a heavy heart and deep sense of gratitude for a life committed to public service that we remember Richard Perina, Rick, who passed away peacefully last Wednesday, January 17th, 2024. Rick was and will always be a true hero, a selfless volunteer and a cherished member of several local communities. His journey of public service spanned almost the entirety of his 78 years, and his legacy is an enduring blessing to the countless individuals he, whose lives he touched and worked so hard to improve. A Vietnam War veteran and a hero in several respects, Rick's commitment to duty saw him serve not only in Southeast Asia, but also in Kuwait and Saudi Arabia during Operation Desert Storm. His exemplary service in the U.S. Army spanned 31 years, earning him a general star and an impressive collection of 21 medals, including three Purple Hearts, two Bronze Stars, the Silver Star, and the Army's Distinguished Service Cross, the Silver Star, awarded for an act of extraordinary heroism, attests to Rick's unwavering valor on the battlefield. In Vietnam, he carried three wounded troopers to safety despite being shot himself and suffering significant blood loss. His battlefield bravery and sacrifice, which few of us even know, knew during his lifetime, further attest to the character and dedication of an extraordinary person. A proud graduate of St. Ignatius Prep, and the University of San Francisco, Rick's Jesuit education laid the foundation for his life of purpose. His enduring faith was a guiding force throughout his journey. And it was a personal connection we both shared as fellow Catholics and brothers in the recovery community. Rick's commitment to others extended well beyond his military service. His relentless life of service lent help too to the unhoused and addicted with St. Anthony's Foundation, to the recovery community and in political causes and campaigns he supported and so much more. In his later years, Rick's love for the city led him to devote seemingly every free moment to its betterment. We throw around words sometimes like tireless as a synonym for hardworking, but Rick was more literally tireless in his civic service than almost anyone I've ever known. In 2022, I had the blessing of being among the candidates he believed in, and his active involvement in my campaign uh, included joining me every morning literally before sunrise throughout the fall of 2022. His boundless energy earned him an affectionate nickname from me, Slacker, uh, which I'd call him whenever we saw one another since, as recently as a week ago, uh, mostly because Rick would always laugh about it. Like everyone who enjoyed Rick's political support, of course, it did nothing to shield you from his political criticism when he disagreed with you. Uh, Rick pulled no punches about his heartfelt beliefs that they came from such a good heart, of course, made his critiques both influential and impossible to take personally. Uh, Rick is survived by his wife, Jocelyn, daughters, Sarah and Noel, and his son, Anthony, granddaughters, Madeline, Ellie, and Abby, grandsons, Mitchell and Richard, great-granddaughter, Victoria, and goddaughter, Andrienne. Our condolences to all of you as we mourn Rick, mourn Rick Perina's passing. 
May we hope that his legacy inspires others to serve our communities with the same passion, courage, and yes, tirelessness that distinguished his remarkable life. Rest in peace, Lacker. I'll see you on the other side. And the rest I submit. Thank you, Supervisor Dorsey. Supervisor Engardio. Submit, thank you. Supervisor Mandelman. Thank you, Madam Clerk, colleagues. Today I have a resolution and a letter of inquiry that I'm announcing. Um, first, the resolution. Um, uh, the resolution would put this Board of Supervisors on record in support of a grassroots campaign for the issuance of a commemorative stamp to honor Matthew Shepard. Matthew Shepard's tragic murder on October 7, 1998 was one of the most notorious anti-gay hate crimes in United States history and became the catalyst for significant movement in public awareness and policy, leading to the enactment of the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act signed into law by President Barack Obama in 2009. This landmark piece of legislation provides federal protections for victims of violent acts based on actual or perceived gender, disability, sexual orientation, or gender identity. Issuing a commemorative stamp in Matthew Shepard's honor would memorialize his life and legacy and also serve as a reminder of our continuing responsibility to champion the values of tolerance, acceptance, and equality and stand strong against hate in all its forms. I want to thank the organizers of the Matthew Shepard Commemorative Stamp Campaign, the Matthew Shepard Foundation, and the International Imperial Council for their work to honor and memorialize Matthew Shepard's life and legacy. And I want to thank my co-sponsors, Supervisors Dorsey, Chan, Peskin, Stephanie, Melgar, Preston, Safai, Ronan, and Engardio. Um, next, the letter of inquiry. Colleagues, uh, before I joined this board, I spent some time on our City College's Board of Trustees. I joined that board 10 years ago at a moment of crisis for the college with its accreditation and even continued existence very much in doubt. This last decade has been a rough one for City College. Happily though, today City College remains open, accredited, and free to city residents. After a prolonged period of declining enrollment and financial uncertainty, City College today has a balanced $314 million budget and for the first time since 2017 is seeing increased enrollment and is adding new classes. All current construction projects are on time and on budget, including the widely anticipated STEAM building and all five unions affiliated with the college are under multi-year contracts. And that is all very, very good news. But I am nonetheless concerned, for there is troubling evidence that some of the very same governance failures that pushed City College into a ditch a decade ago are re-emerging. The college's chancellor, David Martin, has announced that he's leaving after just two years, apparently in the wake of public conflicts among board members and between board members and the chancellor. When Martin started in the role in 2021, some of us had hoped that his background as City College's chief financial officer during some of the hardest times of the crisis would help get the college to finally address its budgetary challenges and ongoing enrollment decline. And in fact, those hopes appear to have been fulfilled. So I'm concerned that he's leaving, and I'm concerned that the college appears to only now be beginning the search for a replacement four months after the chancellor announced his departure. These concerns are further exacerbated by the findings of the Accrediting Commission for Community and Junior Colleges, the ACCJC, 
which days ago released a damning accreditation report for violations of the following standards. Standard 3D11, which requires that the governing board consider the college's long-range fiscal implications when making financial decisions to assure financial stability. Standard 4C7, which requires that the governing board act in a manner consistent with its policies and bylaws. And Standard 4C12, which requires that the governing board allow the chancellor to implement and administer board policies without board interference. Based on those violations, the college was issued a warning sanction by the ACCJC. At the commission's meeting this month, where it reaffirmed accreditation for nine other community colleges, City College was one of two to receive sanctions. City College will now have to prepare a follow-up report by March 2025 describing how it will address the issues ACCJC has flagged and ultimately reach alignment with the commission's standards by 2027. This all seems way too familiar. Folks, we have been here before, and we should not be here again. The city and county of San Francisco, as well as San Francisco taxpayers, have invested and continue to invest significant sums of local dollars to support City College's stability and success. The city's allocated $16.8 million from our general fund to support the free City College program this fiscal year, and paid an additional $2.1 million last year to clear student debt. Other major local sources of revenue include $14 million in sales tax and $19.6 million in parcel tax. Few, if any, other community colleges in California receive this level of local support. This board and the communities we represent have a strong interest in ensuring that City College is being governed in a manner that promotes its long-term financial stability and success in providing an accessible and high-quality education. So today I'm announcing a letter of inquiry that I will be sending to request that by February 5th, 2024, the Board of Trustees provide more information regarding these issues. Specifically, I'm requesting, one, a response to the concerns about governance raised in the ACCJC's January 16th report and an explanation of how the members of the Board intend to address those concerns. And two, an explanation of the Board's understanding of the reasons for Chancellor Martin's departure its plans and timeline for finding a permanent replacement, and its plans for proceeding should the college not be able to find a suitable replacement prior to his departure on June 30th. Finally, it is my understanding that Vice President Anita Martinez individually sent a letter to the ACCJC in response to the visiting team's visit and preliminary findings announced in October. I do not know the contents of the Vice President's letter, but in my experience, any such individual communication from a trustee to the accreditor would be highly unusual and likely to raise concern. I'm requesting that a copy of this letter be provided with the college's response to this letter of inquiry. I look forward to hearing from the board and continuing to work together for City College's students. And the rest I submit. Thank you, Supervisor Mandelman. Supervisor Melgar. Thank you, uh, Madam Clerk. Uh, colleagues, this week, the San Francisco Recreation and Park Commission voted to strike the name Stowe from the lake that surrounds Strawberry Hill and Golden Gate Park and replace it, renaming it uh, Blue Heron Lake. The process began many months ago when this board voted to remove the name Stowe and with it the legacy of anti-Semitism and hate that once California Assembly Speaker William Stowe fostered. Anti-Semitism and hate have no place in our city, nor in Golden Gate Park. And by removing his name, we are one step 
closer to rectifying the pain that former assembly member Stowe caused to the Jewish and other communities across California. After several community meetings, copious new name recommendations, and even a public poll conducted by the San Francisco <coughs> Standard, the name most favored by both the public and the commission is Blue Heron Lake. I have to uh, take a, a little moment to tell you that this gave me an opportunity to visit uh, many elementary schools um, in my district um, to talk to the kids who, of course, uh, know the lake well, attend lots of activities at the lake, and the favorite among the kids was Blue Heron Lake as well. Blue Heron's nest on, uh, on the lake Strawberry Hill in April and May and are a symbol of resilience progress and evolution for the indigenous community of San Francisco. <laughs> I want to take this opportunity to give a shout out to um, SF Nature Education and its ED, uh, Nancy DeStefanis, for their many years of educating San Francisco school kids and the public about these ama amazing birds that call the lake home. The blue heron, a creature of peace and stoicism, is a much more appropriate symbol of our San Francisco values and is a worthy name for this wonderful place. I want to thank my colleagues on the Board of Supervisors as well as the members of the uh, Recreation and Park Commission for their support of this resolution and the process. I also want to thank uh, Lamont Bishop at the Rec Park for the many hours of work that he spent to shepherd this process and Emma Hyken for her work uh, uh, to center the communities uh, throughout. I also have an in memoriam, uh, Madam Clerk, for uh, Joshua Coffey. Uh, I would like to request that we close today's board meeting uh, in honor of Joshua Coffey, a longtime Sunnyside resident who is best known for his whimsical, larger-than-life, colorful murals that adorns the walls all over San Francisco, featuring birds, bears, bison. You might have admired one of his most prominent works, the Birdsong Number no. 3 mural uh, on Market and Van Ness Avenue. Joshua was a self-taught artist who loved to mix mediums through a unique style of overlaying lifelike animals on abstract designs and collage textures like maps, newspaper articles, and acrylic paint. He is renowned among local galleries and the community for his generosity <laughs> and style. Most of all, he was loved for his gentle, kind-hearted soul who brought light to everyone around him. Josh grew up in Ohio and lived in New Mexico, Florida, and finally in California. As a child, his grandmother took him bird watching, which led to his fascination with the creatures as an adult. He was inspired by his scientific illustrations and the legendary Georgia O'Keeffe, who lovingly referred to as his art auntie. Much of his work <coughs> featured animals and how humans relate to the birds and mammals all around us. Joshua's work has been featured um, at the 20th Street Block Party, the San Francisco Marathon, the Treasure Island Music Festival, and throughout the nonprofit Art Community Arts Band. Commodore Sloat Elementary School, also District 7, features many of his paintings, which is where his son attended and was a classmate of my daughter, Aida. In 2012, he undertook a year-long art project, which he called the Gift Prolific. Every day, he gave someone a gift, and every night, he made a painting about the day's gift. At the year's Burning Man, he displayed all of the paintings in a gallery and gave them all away for free. 
Josh enjoyed hiking, bird watching, and playing his ukulele. He recorded an album and was hoping to share more of his music. <coughs> he was a committed volunteer who was passionate about giving back to the community. You can see his portfolio of work on his website, undersong.com. In his final days, he fought hard for his life, and his passing was unexpected and devastating. For those who feel compelled, there is a GoFundMe started by a friend to support Joshua's family during this difficult time. He leaves behind his loving wife, Teresa, and his son, Darwin. To Teresa and Darwin, we send our deepest condolences to you. Joshua, you are sorely missed by everyone in our community, and may your beautiful, inspiring legacy live on forevermore. The rest I submit. Thank you, Supervisor Melgar. Mr. President, seeing no names on the roster, that concludes the introduction of new business. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Let's go to general public comment. At this time, the Board of Supervisors welcomes your general public comment. You may speak to uh, items 35 <laughs> and 30 through 37 uh, on this agenda. You may speak to the approval of the board meeting minutes. And you may uh, speak to general matters that are not on the uh, uh, board agenda, but are within the board's subject matter jurisdiction. All other agenda content has been reported out to the board by an appropriate committee. We are setting the timer for two minutes. Let's have our first speaker, please. Welcome to the podium. Warning. The use of any multi-app cell phone has an addictive effect, hazardous for social behavior and health. Okay. Now, happy. Zombie or not zombie, that is the question, 2024. It's life versus death, as you like it. All the world's a stage, yes. It's measure for measure. Now, look, how old are you here? We are done with this 250 years of wrong education, mostly based on a misunderstanding of what reality is. We stop using profit, usury, because this is where we are today into sheer ugliness, full of lies, systematic lies. I told you all last year how to do it. You stop lying, you aim for beauty, then you are happy, and everybody is with you. And the game is over for what I just explained to you, the system that systematically <coughs> is wrong. After 250 years, it even fomented the French Revolution. Very, very bad idea to cut the head of the King of France. By the way, San Francisco is to, supposed to be the Paris of the West, not, not the London of the West. This does breed a big difference. Are you ready? No more ugly Salesforce Tower. Thank you for your comments. We just ask that the public refrain from making comments until it's their turn at the podium. Welcome, Mark. 
Okay, thank you, Angela. I just would like to remind the clerk that it does say in public comment an opportunity for members of the public to directly address the board on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the board. And since, you know, the supervisors did put their hand on their heart and <coughs> pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and acknowledged that we were one nation under God, that I do have the right to speak, you know. So I'd like to start by going with uh, in Job 9. He was the greatest man on the earth. The most righteous man on the earth was Job. Don't you want to hear from a man like that? It says, then Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth, but how should a man be just with God? If he will contend with him, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. <coughs> and uh, Rebel News up there in Canada, it's a couple Jewish guys that are real news. And I would uh, recommend that you go to Rebel News or wefreports.com and listen to these interviews that they had with the uh, people in the, uh, that are just com communists that are destroying the world. They haven't got Klaus Schwab yet, but I, I hope uh, God orchestrates it out. But I was thinking about these questions that Ezra and Avi were asking these people, and really, it was like Judgment Day. Whether they answered the question or they did not answer the question, they actually answered the question by choosing not to answer the question. And they're very, very penetrating questions they are. And he got the ADL, Jonathan, man, who I guess it's going to be on InfoWars today or tomorrow, <laughs> where... Uh, uh, Rebel News caught the ADL head, little bald-headed Jewish guy, uh, forgot his last name, Jonathan something or other, uh, where I guess he broke three of their cameras and they got it on camera. So I, I want to watch that, you know. It's all, it's all BS. It's all lies. But God is a God of truth. The Bible is all true. And my time is up. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Next speaker. Good afternoon, uh, Board of Supervisors. My name is Chris Klein, and I've spoken here a dozen times, maybe more. Um, the first thing I would like the Board of Supervisors to look into is January 2nd, the Health Commission meeting was canceled. January 16th, they didn't have a quorum. And the reason that happened is the people that I'm going to talk about right now are using an illegal surveillance system um, illegally to influence the Board of Supervisors and public policy. So before this meeting, I submitted to the city attorney's office a request to contact the Department of Justice federally and state the attorney general's office to open up an investigation on the city attorney, David Chu, the general manager, Dennis Herrera, of the general manager of the public utilities, the controller, not Greg Wagner, because he's just starting the former controller. And the reason I'm doing that is because during COVID, uh, public health has the ability to put a wiretap on every single person to get us out of the public crisis, the pandemic. What is happening right now is the mayor um, and the other people I already mentioned do not want to take that wiretap off. And they're using the public utilities and they're sending algorithms through that um, to conduct, conduct their surveillance, which is totally illegal, unethical. And in this country, we've been through this before, 1918, 1947, 1957, 1976, 2019 with COVID, and today. And followed by those incidents of a pandemic is massive amounts of cheating. We have a senior public official with Department of Public Health who's the softball commissioner, and they are using this surveillance system to cheat at softball. That is not a good way to use public funds. 
Um, thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Let's hear from our next speaker, please. Good afternoon, supervisors. I'm Peter Warfield, Executive Director, Library Users Association. We advocate for better libraries <laughs> for everyone. We're independent of any library or library vendor. We can be reached at libraryusers2004 at yahoo.com and with more confidentiality by mail at P.O. Box 170544, San Francisco, California, 94117-0544. It is uh, approaching your budget time, and next month, city departments will be sending their uh, budgets to the mayor's office, uh, which then will get to you in June. We are concerned that San Francisco Public Library is not living up to its mission statement, which roughly speaking says they're dedicated to providing free and equal access to the joys of reading and a couple other things for our diverse community. Unfortunately, access is not always free, certainly not always equal, and not always serving all of our diverse community. Over years, we have advocated for a fine-free system, for example, for overdue books, and the library eventually adopted that. We've also, over the years, advocated for more open hours, especially evening hours, which is what the public has repeatedly told the library in surveys that they want. These evening hours have now been cut across the board at every location that was open until nine o'clock pre-COVID. It's now, they're now closing by 8 p.m. That has a negative impact on working people, students, and community groups, among others. Uh, the library is also increasingly distancing itself from vulnerable populations in a variety of ways. We'd have more to say about that. Please consider this when you're reviewing the budgets. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Bradley Weedmeyer. I'm a library user, and I'm concerned about the state of the library. Uh, the uh, library uh, director is preparing his strategic planning initiative statement, but unfortunately, there are no measurables of that. It's a completely ethereal, uh, non-measurable statement. And both for the future, for the coming budget, uh, for you to evaluate, past uh, achievement of its goals, as well as you know, the calling out and the setting of goals is not being done. If you look at uh, public hours, for instance, uh, over and over again, the polls show that people want additional hours uh, in the evening, on the weekends, and these hours are not the hours that have been uh, restored following the pandemic. Hours were cut, some have been returned, but still in uh, ignoring what the public is asking for, we see these hours not being committed. And, you know, the, the libraries were, are important for our neighborhoods, you know, important, vital districts like the Excelsior Library. Uh, the, you know, it's very important for the streetscape in the evening to have that additional uh, traffic and support and uh, destination. Also, there's the whole question of false futurism in the library where the collection is being diminished 
when uh, there is not substitute resources in new technology. We saw with the uh, uh, auto taxis, you know, what happens when you rush technology before it's ready. And so in the library, for instance, in an area that I research uh, in history, the, uh, for instance, the metropolitan area has had many of its reference uh, documents eliminated, and the ones that survived are only half. Thank you for your comments. Hello, good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Honest Charlie Bodkin, and I'm a resident of the Haight-Ashbury neighborhood in District 5. Today, I'd like to share with you my perspective on our city and what leadership here in City Hall means to me. As is often said, San Francisco is a beacon of hope. Yet, in recent years, we find ourselves plagued by deep-seated issues. These issues, although not unique to San Francisco, weigh heavily on so many of us. Housing affordability, safety, risk of hunger, chronic homelessness, and the painful reality of the crisis playing out on our streets with substance abuse and diminishing mental health. I believe it's the government's responsibility to ensure that everyone has affordable access to the bare necessities of life. That's dignified homes for living in, safe streets for walking or parking, economic and educational opportunities for self-advancement, and healthy food and water for nourishment. When you have the basics, you don't need to worry about simply surviving. You can thrive. I believe our leaders here today and our mayor are diligent and well-intentioned, yet so many of us feel there's an intractable, paralyzed feeling of continued unaffordability, a feeling that working hard means having to work just that much harder just to stay afloat. And that's why I'm running to serve as your mayor this November. Excuse me, sir, are you um, speaking about running for office right now? That uh, is it, it's part of my remarks. Okay. I'm going to pause your, you have 26 seconds left. This is not a forum where you declare for mayor. This is about the business before the board that has been noticed on their agenda. And no I campaigning. refer to the board. It's, it, there's no campaigning in this chamber. Respectfully, thank you. Thank you. My name is Honest Charlie Bodkin. Um, I have 26 seconds. Um, you know, the promise of San Francisco is not just for a privileged few. It's for each and every one of us. And let's rekindle the beacon that is our city. And in doing so, reignite a San Franciscan renaissance. Thank you. Thank you. For have a good comments. day. Thank you. And next speaker, please. Hello, we have three minutes, correct? My name is Nicole. You have two minutes. I'm, if, if you look at the oh, podium, there's a clock yes, right there. I see. I'll start Thank your you time very now. much. My name is Nicole Grigg, Nikki G, Reverend Dr. Amos Brown declared all hands on deck. That's why I'm here. First of all, Blue Heron Lake, I love it, as long as Strawberry Hill is still the name of that hill. That is a sanctuary for butterflies and other birds and bees and other things. So I agree with that. And yes, this continues an ongoing blight in this city, this closing of Safeway. Okay? So if you're going to close it, I declare that you also have a plan to replace it. 
there shall be no food deserts in the middle of San Francisco. You're going to be on the national news. I've been a journalist, radio and television, 22 years. You want to be a headline? Bring it on. Shame on you. 2011 months later, we're going to deal with this again. We're not dealing with it again. You solve this problem right now. And I know you're bored, honeybee. I think you need to take some NyQuil. But I'm telling you, we're not doing this anymore. You are blighting us. And you know what? Me? Highbrow as I am, I'm unhoused. I have a P.O. box. Mm-hmm. I understand 30 seconds. I'm a journalist. Listen to me clearly, as Aaron Peskin did, and someone I met today did. You, with the cute tie. I'm unhoused. I have a P.O. box now. Why? Because all they do is blight our communities, buy us out, and then we have to live in corporate Airbnbs. Thank you for your comments. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, please. Welcome. My name is Jim McAfee. My domestic partner's name is Randy Walsh. He's a resident of Laguna Honda Hospital. I'm going to tell you that I have serious evidence concerning a cover-up involving the recertification process of uh, Laguna Honda and also of crimes committed against my domestic partner, Randy Welch, by public employees of the Department of Public Health of San Francisco. It was interesting to hear that people or a supervisor want some legislation concerning Safeway and forcing Safeway into having a meeting with people in the public. Hypocrisy? Yes, it's hypocrisy. And very probably will be unconstitutional even if you voted in. What's good for the goose is good for the legislative candor. I'm not able to speak to any of the Board of Supervisors. Well, I shouldn't say any. Here's three members of the board who will not speak to me. And I'm not allowed to speak to them. Supervisor Preston. Supervisor Handelman. Supervisor Melgar. I'll have a more comprehensive list, you can be assured, at your next meeting. If there isn't a cover-up involving Laguna Honda, then why won't the Board of Supervisors speak to me? Why won't they look at the evidence? Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Uh, good fucking afternoon. My name is Jordan. My pronouns are she, her, they, them. First, the deputy over here just violated my rights. If members of the public have the right to silently express disapproval by giving a thumbs down, I can use another finger to express disapproval. It's not a disruption. I know my rights. Second, I want to express rare gratitude to President Peskin for his committee appointment, specifically that the Dorsey's ass got dethroned from his perch at rules. He fucked around and found out, and he deserves to be laughed at. Third, I am no fan of at-will employment. People should only be fired for fucking up at their job. I think that an exemption should be made for city employees who commit hate speech and stalking, whether on or off the clock. Fourth, I am glad that President Peskin is on a roll with housing tenants' rights and coastal protections. When supervisors 
do a good job, I like to give them credit. See, I'm not always fucking nasty. <laughs> Fifth, I'm glad the faith feel more safe when got a stay of execution. But the fact that they claim theft as a reason for closing when they have both security and those receipt-activated turnstiles as a reason for closing is disingenuous. And Safeway in line want to manufacture a crisis just to, for political gain. The black community in Fillmore as well as Japantown should be made whole and kept whole. Finally, al supervisore del distretto due non interessa la violenza armata quando la torre e il governo contro il suo popolo. Es secretamente una republicana contraria al aborto e de, ai diritti de transgenere e de queer. Que stranza, cedo mio tempo, fafanculo. Next speaker, please. Come on up. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, police supervisors. You may, my name is Hillary Brown. You guys may know me as Prozac District 5, but I'm here to speak as a Fillmore resident. Actually, I've been shopping at Safeway in the Fillmore independently for 35 years. Recently, I suffered two strokes in the, in the, in the past five years, so I'm like kind of crippled and and actually, I've been legally blind all my life, so I cannot drive to the Safeway at Castro, for example. If this Safeway closes, my, 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 my next option to catch a bus in McSonic to their competitor, which I don't want that to happen. So I want to speak my mind once Safeway to, to continue opening. I say I'm speaking as a film resident who's disabled, who lives a few blocks away from, from Safeway. Actually, my parents... Mr. and Mrs. Brown were shopping at Safeway for like 40-something years during their savings, during their 70s. So they relied on Safeway as well. So it's just that with all your power, you can do and continue keeping that Safeway more long-term. Because yeah, I've been shopping there for 35 years. I would like to be 40-plus years. Another thing I would say, like a lot of my friends who live in Chile may can't afford to shop at Safeway, because I live on a, a comfortable pit, a disabled pension. I'm able to f buy the groceries there. I'm, I'm fortunate. It's just as I want to continue that being open so I continue shopping there. Because, like I said, my next alternative is our competitor at Arkansas Arkans because I can't drive because I'm legally blind. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker. Hello, my name is Leah McGeever. I live in D6. For us autistic, neurodivergent trans people who aren't heterosexual, how well do you supervisors feel you understand the issues we deal with in San Francisco? Do you have a 10% competency? 50%? 100%? And how did you come to that conclusion? How much was passive versus intentional learning? What metrics are every one of you using? How do you know those are accurate metrics? Have you ever sat down and focused on just those questions for trans people, autistic people, lesbian, pansexual, demisexual, asexual, or gay people? And how about for people who are also an immigrant or disabled along with these other identities? How wild is it that people who don't know me from Adam are responsible for acting on my and my community's behalf? Setting the rules we have to live by who don't even know who or maybe even care the outcome uh, your decisions have on us. So to better help you represent us as human beings and maybe to also present us 
as human beings to your communities. I'm here to share societal impacts um, societal impacts on us. I wrote this after the City Hall's uh, Day of Remembrance vigil in 2023. The faces young, two-dimensional, frozen, smiling forever, laid out on cement steps leading up to the building that houses violent transphobes. Violence pummeling our own 3D faces until we're 2D. Who stands on these steps? We sheep, vulnerable, hurt, holding 2D smiling faces of friends and lovers standing right next to the violence politician in sheep's clothing stabbing our faces with his camera-ready smile. Our numbers are smaller than the year before. Is it because there's less of us? Or are we too tired to show up for ourselves? 3D, inching closer to 2D. And I am having the city attorney uh, currently investigating a very extremist transphobe who is employed in this building as a tax auditor. Hate speech is, hate speech is protected by the first. Thank you for your comments. Mr. President, honorable supervisors, I want to pause at this moment to thank the honorable president of this board and four more supervisors that came to the meeting in the Fillmore District today uh, to give a strong message that uh, the Safeway reversal plan to close the grocery store in Fillmore, uh, and they pledged that the resolution that they would present, hopefully your supervisor will go along with that, to make sure that this do not happen anymore uh, in San Francisco. I take the uh, Chronicle newspaper on Sunday, and uh, Mr. Justin Phillip uh, was the writer of the article about this closure, repeating, he said, cycle of deprivation. And he went on to say, the shutdown of the Fillmore Safeway feels like a betrayal. And there's no question in my mind, as the senior pastor, been passing this city about 56 years, socially involved, this definitely is a betrayal of that community. And that resolution, I understand, uh, you presented that will not happen. And why do it always happen uh, to the people, uh, low-income people, uh, and people that do not have the ability to come before you or the city and speak for themselves. Thank you very much, and I'll be looking forward to that beautiful resolution passed by you, body, body here. Thanks very much. Thank you, Reverend. Thank you, Reverend Walker. Let's hear from our next speaker, please. I'm Anna Baranovka. Veronica, can you just move the microphone closer to your, great, so we can hear you best. Okay. I'll start your timer. Um, I've had the pleasure of living at the Fillmore Center for the past year and um, find it safe, affordable. The Safeway is critical to the entire area. And I, although I'm grateful to um, <coughs> Supervisor Preston and the board, I ask you to look more deeply into two things. One is, how was it that intergovernmentally, through your planning department, this deal was allowed to go through as another housing development when there are 24 high-rises in the Fillmore area, many of them serving low-income people. Doesn't make sense. 
Also, Safeway claims to be in financial distress because of theft. They spend between three and $400,000 a month on bar barbarous security guards. I saw an elderly Asian man maced in his eyes with pepper spray at the Safeway that's now closing by a vicious security guard. I witnessed an 85-year-old white lady um, bullied, degraded, harassed, and thrown out of the store. I'm sorry, there are structural problems, yes, and I ask you to look into those and see if there is some way that all of the city funding that goes for food can maybe go to vouchers or something to offset the, the theft at the Safeway. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker. Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Pastor Harris. I'm a member of Fillmore United Alliance, and I just became a member of We Are One. I'm just here to say that uh, the 49ers got a one, right? And it was a team effort. San Francisco, we just got a one as a team effort. Let's not make this a divide in our community or any other community or our supervisor or our mayor. We came together at San Francisco as a champion and came against the biggest corporation as our board president came down to the Fillmore today to talk about this road Safeway Development Corporation that's selling off their land across San Francisco. This is a championship win for San Francisco from our Board of Supervisors president coming to the Fillmore, from our mayor to our supervisor, to all you supervisors that's going to pass this resolution, this is a San Francisco win. Let's take it, but we're taking it as a grain of salt. We still got a lot of work to do. And as the word says, one plants, one waters, and God gives the increase. It's always a team. San Francisco, we're going to work as a team. Thank you for your comments. We shall Greetings, supervisors. Um, thank you for allowing me two minutes. First of all, I would like to thank Supervisor Dean Preston, um, President Aaron Peskin, uh, Supervisor Walton, Supervisor Safai, Supervisor Chan, if I said it right, for all sponsoring this resolution. We had a great turnout today, and my heart is filled with a little comfort after all that's been going on these last three weeks. I will just echo what uh, Pastor Eris was just saying. We need to kind of pause for a moment because you can't win a game without playing all the positions. So I also want to thank Mayor Breed. I would like to thank the NAACP, Pastor Dr. Amos Brown. I would like to thank the Fillmore Unity Coalition <coughs> Alliance. I would like to thank my powerful sisters that got my back here. And I just want us to pause and take this as a victory. Um, two things, transitional plan, community benefits. I think if we can focus on that, whatever comes in the future, it will, t it will be a totally win-win for the community and the city and county of San Francisco. Uh, Safeway, as I've said many a times before, you know, on one hand, you want to just be like, use some other language <laughs> that I wouldn't say over this rostrum. But then on the other hand, you're like, well, this is a corporation. 
And when you just look at the definition of a corporation, we know that a corporation is looking out for stockholders. So this is not to justify, but we gotta understand what we're dealing with. But again, today was a win, and please pass this resolution and, and, and even the ordinance to come because we really need to send a message to all corporations that never compromise food <coughs> for politics. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel Landry, for your comments. Next speaker. Oh, like he said, on one hand you can do this, on one hand you feel this way. So I'm just grateful that we do have the support that we do have from the current supervisors, and we are looking forward to everyone joining in this team effort. I echo uh, my brother Eris, my brother Daniel, my sister uh, here standing, and everybody is on board with this. I mean, it just really makes sense for our community and our city and how it will look to the world that we stand up with our people for our people. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. And my name is Salahapia Chandler. And the bottom line is myself represent the cultural competency of our people as a nation. And unfortunately, this consists of it all as a total human being and character. It's so unfortunate that what we experience today, as I agree with Mr. Preston, it should not have happened. But it lets us know how you really feel about us in this city because we are suffering not only concerning food, but the whole of, from the housing, unfortunately, it's so many of my people that don't even have housing, where people come from all over the world that have more housing than them. Some of our people, these buildings is named after our forerunners and they're not there. It's unfortunate that the majority of the homicides, even my son's case, Yalani Chinyamarende, anniversary January the 9th, and this case still haven't received the trial date. And I've been going to court every two weeks for nine years. There has been an arrest. Are you aware that for former pro prosecutor Eric Flemings is now Judge Eric Flemings who has the case, which is illegal. He was the former prosecutor. He shouldn't have the case. He can't even speak on it. The only thing he can do is pass it to, to calendar. But I did let this know. I let the mayor know documentation. I let the appellate council know. Uh, court sent them a documentation, the Department of Justice of Washington, D.C., and it's getting ready to go to the International World Court because here the local court has failed us as a nation of people. I'm the representative of the cultural heritage of the descendants of the slave trade. Our consulate and our embassy that I spoke with Mr. Preston and his, his, uh, his administration about, we're going to be having a meeting to have our own consulate because we still don't have our reparations. We would be able to solve this problem, the root of it, if our people were given the reparations for their land where they can grow their own food and their backyard. It's a shame you deny them food. They're stealing in these stores because they are hungry. So it lets me know that this local government is not working for the people. But I guarantee you, every one of you have some money in your bank account sitting at this table. We have people that are starving. What evil is going on in this city, one of the richest in the United States of America? But what I'm going to say to you is every one of us who are not doing what we need to do to save these people that's disenfranchised, Thank you, Ms. Chandler. Yes, we'll come collect that from you. Thank you. Next speaker, welcome. 
Good afternoon, President Peskin and members of the board. My name is Diane Matsuda, and I'm a resident of Japantown. First, I'd like to thank the board members who came out to our rally today to support us and understand the immediacy and urgency of the possible loss of a very valuable supermarket in our area. Second, I'd want to uh, support the two resolutions uh, proposed by Supervisor Preston. And third, I just want to urge you that uh, there are many people in our community who are not able to travel to various other places of the city to uh, be able to sustain their food needs. So I, I urge you to uh, support Supervisor Preston's resolution and I thank you for your time. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, President Peskin, sorry, and to the members of the board. My name is Julianne Ho, and I work at the Japanese Cultural Community Center in Japantown, where many of our constituents um, are able to only shop at the Safeway on Webster. So I would like to as you, um, reiterate that, as you all know, Safeway or a likewise um, supermarket that is a service, that services a community's a comprehensive needs is very important, and I would like to support both resolutions. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker. Hi. Um, thank you, uh, Supervisor uh, Peskin, Supervisor Preston, uh, Saeed, and Walton for coming out today to the Safeway Rally. Uh, my name is Paul Osaki. I'm the Executive Director of the Japanese Cultural and Community Center, Northern California. I've um, been part of the Japantown and Western Edition for over 60 years. I grew up in a Japantown that was literally, the blocks were sandlots surrounded by chain link fences. The homes were gone, the businesses were gone, the historic Japantown was gone. And I saw also what happened in Western Edition A1, which was the black community that were reduced to rubble. You know, I. When I heard about this Safeway thing, I've never been so pissed off and disgusted. I never thought I would see the day again where a developer with the government support would take housing needs over the community's right to have basic neighborhood <coughs> services like food. I mean, it was just disgusting to me when I heard that the option was Trader Joe's, you know, we can't let the housing element take over the rights and needs of the citizens and the neighborhoods, especially in those neighborhoods that have been historically and systematically um, uh, decimated over time. Safeway got that land cheap as part of redevelopment. People lived there, there were buildings there, and there were businesses there with the promise that they would provide food for that community and neighborhood as a solution to the devastation caused by the redevelopment agency. Now, it wasn't meant for them to profit off the community by getting out today because the need for, for housing. You know, they made a promise. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Welcome to the next speaker, please. Before the next speaker, I'll just, just remind everyone, there is a board rule that there are no audible sounds of support. If you would like to send your support to the board members or to each other, just give your, you know, 
happy hands, whatever you call them. All right, welcome to the next speaker. Thank you. Thank you all. My name is Kathleen Kehoe. Oscar and I, my husband, have been living in the Western Edition, in the same building, for 32 years. We've shopped at Safeway the whole time. We don't drive. We don't have a car. So we walk or take the bus each week. And in the process of going there, each time we go there, we see people in wheelchairs. There are a lot of older people and or disadvantaged people living in the area. Um, so there are three senior centers right in this Western Edition area. People often come in wheelchairs. Uh, uh, so I would basically ask that Safeway is kept open for people like us who are either <laughs> walking with three legs or, you know, taking a bus or getting there in some way to shop. There is no close alternative otherwise. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Welcome to the next speaker. Welcome. My name is Nan Park. I live two blocks from Can you Safeway. just speak directly into the microphone so we can hear you best, please? Okay, my name is Nan Park. I live two blocks from Safeway, and I want to thank all of you for stopping the destruction of Safeway and making it last more than three months, a year to January, and I hope that whatever vote you, you give it, it will have at least 10 more years or 20 more years. It, it is a wonderful, wonderful thing that makes great things for our neighborhood, plus it has the, uh, the doctors, what do you call it? I can't think of the word. And I can get my medicines there too. It's just it's it's wonderful, and I I think you all are wonderful for doing something to save it. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Right, welcome to the next speaker. <clears throat> Uh, good afternoon, Board of Supervisors. I am Carson Little of the Japantown Task Force, uh, delivering remarks today on behalf of our Executive Director, Dr. Emily Murase, uh, who was here earlier, but uh, had to leave for a staff meeting. The Japantown Task Force has, for over 20 years, dedicated itself to the preservation and promotion of San Francisco Japantown. And as many of you know, there were over 80 Japanese communities in the United States before World War II. Now there are three remaining in Los Angeles, San Jose, and San Francisco, San Francisco's being the largest and the oldest. <coughs> Last Wednesday, our 19-member board of directors voted unanimously to send a letter to this body expressing strong support for the resolution urging that the Webster Street Safeway remain open. We thank Mayor London Breed for brokering an agreement to keep Safeway open for another year. Uh, we stand in solidarity with our neighbors in the Fillmore District and Western Edition to urge a community planning process around that property. Thank you for your time. 
Thank you for your comments. Welcome to the next speaker. Good afternoon. Um, thank you um, for allowing uh, our community to come together uh, in this chamber to express um, our support to keep the Safeway uh, store open um, in the Fillmore. My name is Alice Kawahatsu. I represent the Japantown Task Force in Japantown. And I also represent We Are One, which is a group that got started to uh, stop Asian hate and um, also stopping the stereotype of uh, African-Americans and, and other uh, cultural uh, people in our country and in our city. Um, I stand before you because I want to thank um, Supervisor Preston for being brave and uh, writing a resolution that uh, resonated with each of our hearts in terms of um, wanting to keep that supermarket for our community. Um, the Japantown community is um, close neighbors with the Fillmore District and the Western Edition, and we stand in solidarity to them and to our, our Japanese-American, uh, Chinese-American, Russian-American, Korean-Americans who are all uh, living in our community and need that place to call their to give them substance and to be able to uh, uh, provide for their families and for their children. I understand that Safeway uh, is the only place that um, accepts WIC, which is for uh, uh, families of low income that need to provide formula food for their children. So I plead with you and I look forward to um, all the supervisors supporting this resolution and moving forward and working together with our community. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Let's welcome the next speaker. Welcome. Yes, good afternoon. I would like to thank the Board of Supervisors as well as our President Peskin for giving us the chance to have to speak out on this issue. My name is Monique El Amin. I am a part of the Fillmore United Alliance as well as as one. We are one. We are one. I just became a member. And we are coming to talk about our very issue of Safeway. I know you guys keep hearing us talk about Safeway over and over again. I've been serving this community over 28 years, and I know how it's gonna really affect our community if this Safeway is closed. Our seniors need a place where they can get their pharmacy prescriptions, okay? They need to sustain themselves with food, as well as our families, and as my sister Alice just mentioned, Safeway is the only grocery store in that area that does take WIC, that families, low-income families that qualify for, of children that are under five. Traveling with a child under five, if you don't have a car, can be difficult. And it's such a great pleasure to see the senior citizens come down to Safeway on their canes and walkers independently, getting their food, and, and, and taking care of themselves and protecting their self-dignity and respect and how we all greet them in the community and are happy to see them, be happy in their communities. I don't know if you uh, realize that that property is surrounded by so many senior assisted living homes as well as low-income family homes. And so I urge you to accept the resolution. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Here from our next speaker, welcome. 
Hi, my name is Yusef Mitchell. I am also known as Monique's L, I mean son. <laughs> and I also just wanted to say, um, I don't want Safeway to close because it's my favorite store. I'm serious. It's, it's my favorite store. And the reason that I want Safeway to be opened is, like my mom said, that people, they're old and they sometimes they can't walk. And they have to go to Safeway to get their groceries, but they can't because if Safeway's destroyed, then. Besides, um, I know there's other stores out there like Safeway, but sometimes seniors they don't they don't want to go that far. They want to go right there to Safeway where they feel where they feel comfortable for being right there. Plus, um, my family. They really love Safeway, and they need it. I'm, with all due respect, they actually need it. And um, that's all I wanted to say. Thank you for your comments. All right, welcome. Next speaker. I love our young people. Good afternoon, supervisors. Thank you for letting me speak today. I just wanted to say thank you for keeping the Fillmore Safeway open, at least until 2025. I'm a resident of the Fillmore. I regularly shop there and pick up my prescriptions there. I grew up in the Bayview, Alice Griffith Public Housing. This was prior to Hope SF. And I know what it's like to grow up in a food desert and how difficult it is to have fresh and healthy food when you don't have a vehicle, access to reliable transportation, and limited mobility. The Fillmore Safeway is a lifeline for many uh, low-income folks, seniors, and people with disabilities, and allows access to fresh and healthy food. I encourage the board to support Supervisor Preston's resolution and to keep our grocery store open as indefinitely as possible, because nothing is indefinite these days, and find solutions to prevent risks of lifeline grocery stores and other resources to close suddenly without feasible, accessible, and acceptable solutions. I also want to uplift my neighbors and how, it how amazing it was to see and hear folks band together to keep Safeway open. Um, and other um, uh, things. I also heard there was a tribute going to be made today for a fellow artist, the actor Richard May. I couldn't find it in the agenda, but wanted to thank you all for acknowledging an incredible person who taught me to live what you love. Thank you so much. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker. Good evening, supervisors in the audience. My name is Ace Washington. Uh, I can't say what I want to say in two minutes, so I'm a prayer for Ace a lot of the things. I've been in our community for over 40 years, and uh, Safeway was just being built when I moved there. So I got great history with Safeway. I can't talk about it now. but. What we need, community, is a town hall meeting, all hands on deck. Everybody that's involved politically, uh, officially, should be at this meeting. Because this wouldn't have happened. Let me step. This wouldn't happen if we had redevelopment back in the community. I know a lot of people say, well, redevelopment is gone. But they did have meetings when there was property sold. They had CACs and different meetings of the community. But. Uh, <clears throat> the resolution that you're putting together, all this was put in place years ago under the LDA, when we get that from the OCII that used to be redevelopment. It'll spell out everything. And we need to know what's happening in our community with all these partials in the Fillmore. In the time right now, <clears throat> 
the LDA is needed. Um, the most important thing right now is the community benefits. And <coughs> by Safeway and this new developer had to sit down at one community meeting, they're in total violations, total violations. I'm glad y'all doing resolutions, but all of this has been laid down before in years. And everybody here knows redevelopment had meetings when there was property being sold, whether we liked it or not, but you discuss those things. And it's, and it's irrelevant right now. And it's important that the developer, the Safeway, and all the city officials get together with the community and have that meeting, the town hall meeting. I call it the state of the Fillmore. We gotta find out what's happening in the Fillmore. My name is Ace, and I'm on the case right now. Thank you, Ace Washington, for your comments. Welcome to the next speaker, please. Good evening. My name is Betty, <clears throat> excuse me, Betty Evans, and I've been in San Francisco all my life. And I saw, I'm like uh, Martin Luther King, I've seen the devastation. I've seen the redevelopment come in and tear down Fillmore Center, which is a Western addition where I live. We had everything, everything. But the redevelopment came in with supervisors, not you. Thank you, supervisors, for what you've done, Mr. Preston. And you took it away from us. Safeway, we're not begging Safeway to stay. They've never been friends to black people, period, from the beginning. Know your history. We don't want to go there, but we can go there, okay? So if Safeway wants to go, let them go. So what? Get another food entity. We black people, we would have our own black market. There's less than 10 of black markets in the United States that belong to black people. What's going on with that? Everybody can tell us what to do in our community, but you don't live here. You live elsewhere, okay? So what we want, we want what we want in our community. We have enough high rise in our community. Some people can't even afford to stay in them. They're already there. So why do you want to come in and with Safeway, like I said, never a friend of black people, come on, never a friend of black people. Okay, to do what you think you need to do because you have money. So what? You may have money, but we, the people, have the power. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Welcome. Next speaker. My name is Tori Sprague. First of all, I would like to say it is a short-term win that we are all grateful for. However, when you're trying to close grocery stores, you are trying to starve us out. We don't want a food desert, and our elderly and disabled can't afford one. What was once an aboriginal community with many thriving businesses is now a low-income community. Sounds much like America. It's easy to blame the thieves. Meanwhile, we dismiss the root causes to the issues we face as a city. In such a rich city, shouldn't no one need to steal food? We should have fruit trees all up and down these blocks. Having food is essential for life. While keeping these doors open will be beneficial to our own community, what, what would be more beneficial is if us as indigenous people had our own, our own everything. Then we won't need to depend on these corporations. However, to this day, we have yet to receive compensation that we are rightfully due to as indigenous people because most of us didn't come from Africa, and we was already here. Uh, where was I at? We have the ability to do everything we are depending on this foreign government to do for us. 
You got to know who you are and not who they taught you you were. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, please. Welcome. Good evening. Uh, our leader is not here. Ma'am, can you do just pull that microphone yeah. close? We can Good hear you evening, best. Good evening, uh, family. Our leader is not here. Uh, I'm representing African immigrants. Thank you for people who are standing with us today from this office. But Safeway for us, it's um, our special place for African immigrants. Mostly we live in the Fillmore district. Then when we shop, we exchange small talks. We see each other. We, this is, for me, it's like Times Square or Central Park safe, Safeway. But the hardest thing, I'm from Ethiopia. Most our parents, they don't read, the, they don't speak well English. But because they live close to Safeway, they know just two blacks or a black and a half, it was easy for them. Now, the, if it's close, they don't even know the number, what number should they take or what street should they go. And thank you for your consideration, but still thank you for one more year. Salam. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon to our Board of Supervisors, to our, uh, our mayor who's not here, and to NAACP President Dr. Brown. I, I'm not going to speak to the desert of food because we all know what that is. I'm going to say a couple things in terms of this country and how divided we are. I am, we have to get past this Trump spirit. It's not good. I want to say something personally to Hillary on this board. I Sir, remember may going I just to pause, pause the time for a moment? This yes. is a meeting of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Yes. Where you're speaking to the board as a whole. I am. This is not a personal meeting between you and the supervisor. So no, it's not personal. I'm not making it Just address it the whole board. Thank you. I'm going to speak to, I spoke to one supervisor on the board. Let me say that, Hillary. And I know there are some differences. What I want to say openly and publicly, I appreciate you for one, your honesty and being willing to work in the spirit of collaboration. So let me say that to you publicly first. As, as today went today, I got to tell you, I was disturbed by today, by the supervisor, you all coming into our community, into our neighborhood, into the neighborhood where our mayor um, was reared and you guys come and try to power play her as if she, you had more power than she did. I didn't like it at all. I felt like, I felt like in general, I think I should for having some balls. And he came, at least he put his name for mayor, but Chair Preston, if you're going to put your name in, don't use us as a photo Again, op. Again, sir, the whole board, not Don't use us as a photo op is what I'm going to tell you straight up. I was happy to see Shimon Walton because I know he cares about black people. And, I, and that's what I can say about him. And as for our, our supervisor, Preston, I respect the resolution. I just want some transparency. That's what I want to say to you. And that... One, being we did meet with Safeway, and they didn't meet with you, but they, they're willing to work with us. And I want to thank Mayor Breed for fostering, keeping us here for a year and even more. But we're going to have to do our part in our community and kind of community police ourselves. That's something we got to do. So I'm going to say that, and I'm going to leave, it, leave that alone. And if we're going to blame the mayor for everything. Thank you for your comments. Sir, 
Thank you for your comments. Welcome the next speaker to the podium. Supervisors, I appreciate the chance to speak to you today. My name is Daniel Thomason. I live right on the border of districts five and eight. About a mile and a half from here at the Embarcadero Muni Station, the downstairs escalator is broken. Not that noteworthy, except by my count, it's been broken for about two months and counting. Now, young, able-bodied, for me, it's okay. I do have concerns about uh, some of the less able-bodied uh, residents of San Francisco who may perhaps have trouble if, for example, the elevator breaks. But the reason I'm here today is not just that minor ir irritation. It's more about what that is a symptom of, which for me is that San Francisco, somewhere along the line, seems to have lost what Patrick McKenzie describes as the will to have nice things. And I could rattle off a few things. I think we've heard a couple of examples today of them, and as residents of the city, I think we could all bring a few to mind pretty easily. And honestly, it's not just here that a change of that needs to start. As individuals, we need to recover the will to have nice things as communities, be it the Fillmore, be it Coal Valley, be it everywhere else. But the reason I'm here is that I consider these hallowed, beautiful halls to be one of those places uh, with our elected representatives where, especially in this election year, I challenge you all as the Board of Supervisors to ask yourselves, do you have the will to have nice things on behalf of the city? And do you have the knowledge that not only is it possible to have the will to have nice things, but that it's vital, important, required of us as individuals, as citizens, as supervisors to represent that on behalf of the city. And again, in an election year, if not, whether it's pot potentially time to step down and pass the baton to someone who might have that will. Thank you for your time. Sir, question for you. You said the, the stair the elevator was broken at the Embarcadero station? That's right, the escalator okay. downstairs. We'll put that in, in our minutes. Thank you. All right, thank you for the information. It. Next speaker, please. Too many people are suffering. Too many people are sad. Too little people got everything. Well, too many people got nothing. We will remake the world full of love and consciousness. I have brain damage and I have disabilities and I've been coming here for many years. The problem is I'm still preyed upon viciously Targeted, I couldn't get disabled help in the, in the, when the serial killers that were running this old help, folks home where I live are still running it. I can't get help because I don't have status that will keep me safe. I'm very vulnerable to sound. There is nobody enforcing the sound ordinance in this town. So I ask that that be done. I am also asking that I get an elder status because I've been serving God and my country. And as much as Rumi has said that the pounding we should not complain about because it makes us diamonds, I am a diamond who was in the rough, severely disabled, and I have many things to teach and want to be able to, but the things were stolen by the serial killer that I can't talk about because I was tortured so badly in that building by hate crimes that were not not ever investigated, and the many times I went to the police, and I have been and been and been trying to get my possessions back and other things. 
straightened out so that we have some safety for disabled people, not just the law that was brought into effect, but actually enforcing and taking care of our elders. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, please. Yeah, I've, I've just been sitting in the back of the room listening to the discussion about the, the Safeway over, over in the Fillmore. Millard Fillmore, there's greatest person from Buffalo. Maybe there's a name we could change there somewhere. But I, I just got one question, you know, about taking out a needed grocery store and like replacing it with a office tower or a, or a, or a apartment building. Does, does Scott Weiner have something to do with this? Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, welcome. Okay. Good afternoon, uh, Board of Supervisors. I'm standing united with the Fillmore Community Supervisor, Dean Preston, President Peskin, um, Supervisor Safai, President Walton, and the San Francisco branch of the NAACP. I also want to thank Mayor Bree for brokering a deal in the fight against the closure of the Webster Street Safeways. Together we demand a guaranteed replacement for a full service grocery store for this neighborhood, recognizing the potential devastation and closure can bring. We're committed to preventing such threats in the future. Community involvement is crucial and well ensured that the residents, including the San Francisco branch of the NAACP, are informed and actively participate in discussions about potential closures and their impact. In unity, we stand strong. I also want to say I'm a uh, city worker, a black city worker for the Department of Public Health, and today Dr. Hammer was honored here for her service. In 2018, there was a hearing for black city workers where we were discriminated against, and we still are. I served under Dr. Hammer in primary care and ambulatory care. I want to say that nothing for black workers has changed in the Department of Public Health to this day. So I want you guys to investigate what is going on in the Department of Public Health and other city departments and black workers being discriminated against. And please stop honoring people who discriminate against us. You need to investigate that instead of just giving out honors. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. And we, it's pronounced Supervisor Safai, just for your future reference. Hi. Uh, Thank you. My name is uh, Brenda Barrows, and so I'm with Labor, and we are total support of the people that are trying to keep Safeway open, not just keep it open, but improve that community and have complete uh, public input. Right now, it sounds like people only talk to a certain people, and you need to talk to everybody so that you get a better outcome. And also, I wanted to say, Greg Wagner, we are happy that he got his new position. We worked with him in public health for many years. I just hope that now he's moved on to a higher office that he keeps this compassion he had before 
and that he keeps his fairness that he had before. Thank you for your comments. Welcome, Reverend Brown. Thank you very much, Madam Clerk. Mr. President, members of the board, I suppose it falls my responsibility to be the Lawrence O'Donnell and have the last word. There are two things that I would like to share with you as the last word. Number one, it was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who said, there will never be a fellowship until all the fellows are in the ship. There will never be a fellowship until all the fellows are in the ship. And I trust that you would accept my general appeal that we will adjourn this meeting today in honor and in the memory of the youngest son of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who died on yesterday. The children of the King family went through great trauma because of the racism, the evil and injustice in this nation. But in spite of all of that, they still became achievers. Secondly, I wish to say, we appreciate all of those who were involved and what you brought to the table. But I wanted us to remember that Robert Frost was right when he said the woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I fall asleep. We've gotten this extension, but this struggle is not over. We have not fulfilled our task. We still must stop the hemorrhaging and the great loss of black folks from this town. I just looked at a report here where the black population in America has grown. But San Francisco is the only major city in America where there has been this astronomical loss of black folk. And that didn't happen by accident, friends. That happened because public policy was put in place by legislative bodies and by persons who had authority to be just for all. But going back to 1858, it was so horrible in this town until over 800 blacks got on that ship, the Commodore, and sailed up to British Columbia. Why? Because we could not get housing here. We couldn't get jobs. And a black person could not even witness in court against a white person. We could not even get schooling in San Francisco. And I'm saying it's time for San Francisco, friends, to get some new sins and stop this old sin of discriminating against black folk 
for what has happened with Safeway was a situation where we died in order for Safeway to live. It was on black broken promises. The Safeway got in there. Even our late Mayor Diane Feinstein lobbied yours truly, Arnold Townsend and Willie Brown for that left-hand turn in order that people would come from Cathedral Hill to shop in that spot. We died, I repeat, in order for Safeway to live. Now I say to you gently that you got an opportunity in February when Supervisor Shimon Walton introduces that apology for all the mean things that have been done to black people in this town, you can right the wrong by making sure that you study all the legalities of it. But make sure, friends, that no one does anything on that spot unless this black community is qualitatively and quantitatively involved. If we don't, we will have committed the sin of not welcoming all the fellows to be on this ship. For it is not a fellowship yet, but you can make it that if you only stop, look, and listen, and chill with us, kick it with us, until we make this one city under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you, Reverend Brown. Public comment is now closed. Madam Clerk, would you please read the adoption without committee reference calendar? Items 35 through 37 were introduced for adoption without committee reference. A unanimous vote is required for adoption of resolutions on first reading today. Alternatively, a member may request a resolution to go to committee. Would any member like an item or item severed? Supervisor Preston? Item 35, please. Item 35 on the balance of the calendar. I believe we can do that same house, same call. The resolution is adopted and the motion approved. Madam Clerk, would you please read item 35? Item 35 is a resolution to urge Safeway Incorporated to reverse plan to close a grocery store at 1335 Webster Street in the Fillmore in March 2024. Supervisor Preston. Thank you, President Peskin, um, and want to thank everyone uh, from the community who came out to speak today and all the folks who have weighed in with emails and with calls <coughs> and with coming to our offices and talking with us um, in the streets uh, from Fillmore, Japantown, and the, the entire Western edition, as well as neighboring communities. Um, and I think the message has been loud and clear, uh, as I talked about earlier, that the grocery store needs to stay open as long as possible. Um, we need a grocery store in any future development. We need a plan uh, that is led by the community, uh, and the community needs to be at the table in making any plans for the site. Um, in light of the positive announcement uh, yesterday, I have circulated a minor amendment just to reflect uh, that update uh, that you should all have 
in your <coughs> inboxes uh, that, ref that uh, adds a whereas clause to the resolution uh, regarding the announced extension. Uh, so uh, with that, I'd like to thank uh, my co-sponsors, uh, Supervisor Walton, President Peskin, uh, Supervisor Safai, Supervisor Chan, uh, and Supervisor Ronan uh, would like to move the amendment and ask that you approve the item as amended. Thank you, colleagues. Motion to amend by, by Supervisor Preston, second by Supervisor Walton. Colleagues, can we take that without objection? The amendment is adopted and on the item as amended, same house, same call. Mr. President, Supervisor Dorsey is on. Supervisor Dorsey. Thank you, President Peskin. Just, I just wanted to say that as a supervisor of a district and also as a resident of a neighborhood that saw a major supermarket close um, with only a few hours notice last spring, um, I am incredibly sympathetic to the community's concerns. Um, the supermarket closure in mid-market uh, last spring was a gut punch to the whole neighborhood, and I think we have to do everything we can to encourage supermarkets to be better partners with the community. And by the way, that also means um, pushing the city and its departments to be better partners with supermarkets that serve the community. And what I like about this resolution is that it recognizes we all have roles to, pay, to play in supporting grocery stores that support our communities. Um, so I appreciate Super Preston, Supervisor Preston and his co-sponsors for their leadership on this, um, as well as Mayor Breed for her leadership as well. Um, I'd like to be added as a co-sponsor and be supportive of all the efforts around this. So thank you very much. Thank you, Supervisor Dorsey. On the item as amended, same house, same call. The resolution is adopted as amended. Madam Clerk, uh, in addition to the immemoria already submitted on behalf of the entire board, we will adjourn uh, in the memory of Dexter Scott King. Would you please read the remaining immemoria? Yes, Mr. President. Uh, on behalf of Supervisor Peskin, for the late Jim Hurley, Reuben Winkler, Joan Holden, Diane Ragsdale, Herbert Gold, and Dexter Scott King on behalf of the entire Board of Supervisors. On behalf of Supervisor Preston for the late Richard Darnell May. On behalf of Supervisor Walton for the late Eddie Lee Cottrell. And that's on behalf of the entire Board of Supervisors as well. On behalf of Supervisor Dorsey for the late Dejan Milosevic and Richard Perina, and on behalf of Supervisor Melgar for the late Joshua Coffey. The Board of Supervisors is adjourned. <laughs>